0: Live TD stuff, you don't have to worry about the edit because, hey, the show's over. <laughs> you know? There's, well, in those days,
1: really you would, refreshing. you'd create an EDL with the u uh, decks and then you'd take it in, take your proxies and uh, conform it to a one-inch machine.
2: Yeah, After I
3: was connecting a- to your RS-232 ports.
1: <laughs> First computer plug I think I ever had. Sony, 9-pin protocol.
2: My favorite was the decks where you could run one 9-pin between... The source machine and the player, and drive the source machine off the front of the player. You know, like the seventy fives and fancy, fancy. Those were fun. I remember being on site once, and like people were like, "Oh no, what are we gonna do?" And I, and I looked at the chief engineer. I said, "Do you have a nine pin?" He goes, "Yeah." And I go, "I can fix it." Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I go here, plug these in. Uh huh. Patch that to there. Okay, let me. F- t- t- there was, like, one graphic in a big roll-in that needed to be modified or covered or something, you know, throw a piece of B-roll over, I can't remember what it was, but it was just one insert, video edit over it, controlled.
0: I get calls at 3 in the morning when I'm trying to sync up the dat from the commercial the previous day, and I tore a page out of the Sony manual to to tell them they have it set to the wrong setting for the time code every time and it's coming out. It just generates time code, but it's the wrong numbers. It just generates wrong numbers because it interpolates incorrectly. And so I had to tear that page out and, you know, leave it. I left it tacked up in the transfer room at all the transfer houses.
3: (laughs) What I remember is the early days of NLE where if if you found a mistake at one and a half minutes in a, Two-hour program. You had to re-render the whole thing, (laughs) which sometimes took
1: six hours.
3: Uh, You
0: couldn't. Courtney, did you you ever work
1: with the uh, real-to-real digital Nagra?
0: Oh, I played with one. Mike Dunneke had one. I played with his Nagra D, but never owned one. It was the stupidest idea because it was proprietary, and you had to have one in transfer, and nobody in transfer had one, so nobody used it. And it was thirty thousand dollars to buy one. So you know. They were going to stock one for the one person that was using it.
2: For the back end crew, if interested for the first question, I actually have this graphic standing by that I can zoom in on. Cool. This is what I think is the most interesting. Is the exception drawn out here?
1: It's always fine print at the bottom. I always wanted to shoot a movie with the backup camera on my car. That would burn out your transmission.
3: Call it leaving my friends. We'll just do all the shots and you're going away from something.
0: Oh, no, because then you'd have to be in drive and it'd be turned
3: off. You'd have to go backwards. Oh, gosh, yeah. It's like well, it Smoke Signals, the, the the little movie shot on the Indian Reservation and all the little jokes and somebody has a car that they can only go in reverse so they drive all over to their friend's houses 10 miles away, always in reverse. My Native American friends back when I lived in Scottsdale just thought that it was the coolest thing. They ran a transmission business on the side. A perfectly good car why would you take it out of service just because it could only go backwards my hosting (laughs) (laughs) it's Tuesday Must.
4: hey everyone welcome to office hours if you're watching on YouTube you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global our first hour is general discussion about media production and our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on and for the next month we're going to be doing more labs um less of a presentation and more of us just fiddling about. So we're going to talk about the keynote. We're going to talk about uh, countdown clocks and how I build them in motion. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about how I approach that. And maybe you might be able to use it on your own uh, projects, but you can ask questions about that. And uh, we won't be moving at a, at a very fast pace. And if we get to the end of it, then we'll go back to questions. So so, we'll, uh, so it's going to be a little bit more uh, a little more casual. So um, stay tuned for that in the second hour. Um, and uh, in the first hour, if you want to ask questions, go ahead and throw those into Macon. If you're not in Makana, you're just watching this, uh, you can ask questions by going to askofficehours.global um, and, uh, and so go to askofficehours.global and you can ask those questions uh, there and you can ask them 24 seven. So uh, in fact, we got, I think we got like, I don't know, five or 10 questions <laughs> um, and there's a little QR code that you can use as well. Uh, uh, so you can use the QR code or you can just go to askofficehours.global um, and uh, the, uh, I think we, you know, about half of our questions today are coming from that. So it's it's definitely picking up speed. Um, and you can ask them anytime you think of it. You don't have to worry about when we're going to reset our system, uh, how we're going to do that. Um, it goes into a kind of a big tank and then I bring them in as we can um, throughout the show. So um, let's go ahead and jump into the first question. Bill, what do we have?
3: Our first one, which is a QR code question, comes in from Jens Olson in Sandpoint, Idaho. And Jens asked, did anyone else catch the, this event was
5: shot on iPhone and credit in yesterday's Apple
3: announcement?
4: There you go Jeffrey.
5: Jeffrey. Uh, the short answer is yes. Uh, and, of course, uh, there's been a lot of talk about it, a lot of news articles and some videos that have behind the scenes videos sh- uh, showing how they shot with the iPhone 15, which Were is the really behind? Cool. Did, did Apple post those? Uh, Apple posted them the a couple of the uh, products that that came with it they, they had some side vote uh, posted um, let's see uh, where'd that one come from I can't uh, yeah. Jonas posted one uh, on our on uh, group that were that're yeah. With, with and, uh, and I don't know where that's coming from,
4: so. Talk, talk about burying the lead. I mean, I think that of all the things that we were the most excited about, and it's not just me, um, Marquez Brownlee, uh, Justine Ezerick, uh, myself, all these, uh, you know, was <laughs> like R- Renee Ritchie on another forum that I was on. We're all just like, you know, like they shot the whole thing on, a, on an iPhone. We kept on, you know, people would talk about them shooting on an iPhone, but you're like, oh, they won't do that. They'll just keep shooting these on Aries. And, um, then they shot one with an iPhone. And I wonder whether the reason that they shot it at night was just to show off. Like like literally to just go, well, yeah, we use an iPhone and we did it at night. You know, like it was it was a whole bunch of night shots. You know, I don't know if they, I don't know if there's any, there was other, it turned it may not turn out there was any other good reason other than to show that the iPhone can shoot a lot of footage in dark. Uh, go ahead, Chris.
2: Yeah, I won't complain about my other problem that I, you and I were talking about last night. But I do think what's interesting about the graphic is it says this event was shot on iPhone, edited on Mac. But this little sentence down here, the presenters, locations, and drone footage shot on iPhone Pro uh, 15 Pro Max. The question then, why are they? Because uh, they have a lot of CG in there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the reason. I made the comment before the show that I would guess that unless you see an Apple product in a human's hand, I bet you every Apple product we've seen for about the last 10 years at least would be CG. What do you think?
4: Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. All the products, unless they're in their hands, and even sometimes when they're in their hands. Um, they, uh, so, so, yeah, so, but, but, yeah, yeah. The, chips. We're gonna yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, we've done that a lot. I mean, I haven't done it for Apple, but, but we've done it for other products where you're holding, we have you hold something that is the exactly the right shape, but we're not done with it yet. And then we track it back in and roto it in, and it works. I mean, it, it, it's, it's not perfect. Like I was noticing, you know, we were watching Ted Lasso. Um, There's these logos on Ted Lasso, on the the coach that left the team or whatever. And he's got this jacket with these logos. And uh, in the third season, um, uh, about halfway through, he's standing up and I realized the logos are sliding. I'm like, oh my gosh, they added the logos later. Like they added those logos after they shot, shot it. It didn't work. Like it didn't work. It was like, I was like, ooh. So um, yeah, they they slide a little bit. But, but to get back to the iPhone, I mean, I think that that was a, uh, a pretty interesting, you know, show of force. You know, of of using a phone for, uh, you know, for all of those things. I and, and I hope they really. I mean, I, it looks. It sounds like they put some behind the scenes. I hope they really break it down because that would be a really. Uh, I think they'd get more views on that than they might get on the release. I mean, you know, the release was fine. I mean, it's faster computers, and I mean that's that's good, and I'm sure that's all all fine and dandy. But but the the end credit. That end credit is what everybody paid attention to. You know, so, in the in the product,
2: yeah. Alex, one question for you because you have a very critical eye, as we all know. Uh, when you were watching it, because you said bearing the lead, they didn't tell, they didn't say, "Oh, by the way," we're admittedly, a little video here it was shot on a phone. When I, you were watching it, did you see anything that you didn't like? Yeah, the
4: opening shot with Tim Cook, I was like, uh, "What happened to that shot?" Like, like I I, uh-huh. I did I did think the opening the opening shot was not very impressive. Like, didn't look like a an, an Apple shot. So I was like. Hmm. Like it it just felt very, um, uh, underwhelming. Like, and, and I think part of it was that the, that the background was in more, more in focus and there was more stuff and there was, but, but I felt like that, that the opening shot, I wasn't, um, I don't think there was any other place that it really jumped out for me, but it definitely jumped out for me, um, in the very opening shot with Tim Cook, that there was that it felt like a lower quality shot, and I I remember thinking that right when it happened, not not knowing that it was an iPhone, just going, mm, I wonder what happened there. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Bill.
3: I'm waiting for the next disclaimer, which says edited on a MacBook Air while on public
1: transit. That's going to be the next <laughs> stage, I think? <laughs>
4: yeah, um, yeah. Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: I was just going to say that a poorly lit, airy shot. And a very well lit and composited uh shot with an iPhone that could they could come together at some at some point. But what's interesting about it all is that uh, uh it, with the right gear and uh, uh the right lighting and the right uh artist, you can make those iPhone look pretty darn good.
4: Yeah. Oh okay, this is great. And this is is this uh,
2: Chris, is this on the Apple this is posted uh, no, by Apple? No, it's not. It's uh T W I M G. It was a uh, uh, Mickey
4: sent me oh, the link. Oh, the ad agency. Um, interesting enough, the the one guy talking there, I think, is Steve Wozniak's son. Is it? <laughs> so anyway, so um, yeah, go ahead, Courtney.
0: Yeah, it's interesting when you can take that uh, twelve hundred dollar phone and mount it in thirty thousand dollars worth
4: of support gear and get a shot out of it. Oh, we used to we used to have fun with it because when we did um. Uh, when we used to do a lot of Hangouts for Google, we would send pictures to each other, like a half a million dollars equipment on the other side of the camera and go, because Hangouts are easy. <laughs> so, so like, you know, like they, you know, like it's, and um, uh, yeah, so, yep. That's well, a good video. So yeah, we'll have to take a look at that uh, in detail. Chris, um, can
3: you post a link in the chat so that we can...
4: Yeah, that's good. Sure. We'll chat. Yes. Um, Yeah, so I think that, uh, I do think that there's some, like, uh, what was it? Um, Tangerine was the first movie shot on it, by the way, pretty visionary for, to get, to get your, to build your, to build a movie on, on an iPhone. I think it was like a 3GS or something like that. And uh, to do one just so that you, uh, you can, for the next century, you can always say the first movie shot on, uh, you know, shot on an iPhone uh, was Tangerine. And, but I think that now you could shoot some pretty interesting things with, with an iPhone. It's pretty, it's, it's uh it's gonna be I mean I, I know that the quality. I I as far as news gathering and everything else, I think that I can see why they're kind of moving in that direction. But yeah, so all of us noticed it was a pretty interesting um pretty interesting puzzle. So we'll see we'll see how it goes. I can tell you as someone who has an iPhone fifteen Max or whatever, I right? Um, I really have a hard time justifying taking another, I take other cameras like I'm going to shoot video and then I just end up using my phone. Like I just, I'm just kind of like, oh, you know, like now we're doing live events and we're doing production. I still use, obviously use production cameras. We have some Blackmagic 12Ks and some 6Ks and lots of other things. And so for live, I'm still using those. But when I'm just shooting footage for things that I need, I've had a hard time justifying um, using uh, something else. Uh, Yeah, go ahead, Bill.
3: Well, I was just going to say, the last two years, I've shot all of my corporate work with the exception of one project on my iPhones. And that one project, when I took out the Blackmagic 6K just because somebody said, can you bring the bigger camera because this is going to be hard, I didn't like it as much. I didn't like the imagery as much. Now, it may be that I was just out of... It it was a challenging shoot. It was a thing at the Rady Shell, and it was outdoors, and there was really harsh shadows and bright sunlight and um, not a beautiful background. Parts of it were beautiful, but it was really hard to get exposure things. But it was harder than the computational video out of my iPhone that takes into consideration all those split focuses and really works on making a composite image that looks really good. So that pushed me even farther into... I'm gonna. It's gonna be tough to get me to reach for a different camera unless there's really something compelling. There can be. I mean, if I'm in a circumstance where I need a lot of audio support or something like that.
4: Yeah. But oh, and I think that I think that behind the scenes is really useful as well because it 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 does show you that like, and then you're still using professional equipment around it. Like you're not. um, You know, it's not like you're just shooting it with your. You know. just handheld <laughs> it's like you got a
0: techno crane and a, and a and sparrow a awesome. mount and a remote head it's yeah. not like justine
2: is sitting there
4: holding her pink well i brown.
2: mean that's exactly what that's i mean true, if you
4: Tim. if you go back and look at the video i think i I think i reposted it on my youtube channel but if you go back and look when the 3gs came out which was um a brand new uh when the 3gs came out i immediately ran back to the office cobbled together a uh, just a you know, just, just a random bits and bobs that we had for real, for real cameras and threw the 3GS on it and said, this is going to be the future. And that was, I don't know, it was 2008 or nine. So th- 12 or 13 years ago, um, and, or 14 years ago. And so I was, uh, but I was like, this is, this is it. But I, of course, none of that worked at the time. <laughs> so, oh, but, oh, by the way, uh, we don't have a question for this, but I think we talked about this in the last, where did I put it now? Um, the I want to confirm if I can figure. out, oh yeah, if I, I want to confirm. We talked about this in after hours, I think. Um, but I I wanted to confirm that that Jeff Keithley was correct um, in saying that that this Avio um, uh, USB C does work with Dante to the phone. So um, this is this little guy is PoE on one side and uh, USB C on the other. By the way. <laughs> it also charges the phone. Like I didn't realize it would actually, like I looked at my phone, my phone was like, I'm taking charge. Yeah, yeah, I was like, (laughs) I was like, now you have a phone charger. It's a phone charger that carries Dante. Um, So anyway, so the, uh, so anyway, the, um, uh, but this is, you know, but the reason I bring this up in this conversation is now you're able to actually deliver very high quality audio to the phone as well. Um, So it's just something to kind of, consider um in that in that process next question andy
3: kokendorfer is up next from Vieira, florida and andy says Test- testing the new Candeo meeting ultra in office this week this promotes eye contact with remote attendees what questions would you ask staff and or focus groups and he's got a link uh
0: go ahead courtney uh do you only use it with people with very long arms oops sorry that would be a very long arm uh, because it's a touch screen and these are people around a conference table because it's designed with a Insta360 type camera sitting here on top and they're pulling their individual pictures out of that and it's a touch screen, the girl on the left and the girl on the right would have to have, you know, six foot ar- long arms if they were going <clears> to <throat> touch something on the screen to do something. And they're awfully close together and you'd have to have a pretty small conference table to put this in the middle and work both sides of it. So... I th- and I don't see a keyboard or a mouse with anyone, so I think there would be some limitations there in its use in a conference situation, the way they've designed it. Uh, it would have to be a fairly small table, and you'd have to be pretty close to each other and across the table from each other uh, with that device. And I would suggest using it, not promoting it as a touchscreen so much as, you know, using a normal keyboard and mouse, wireless keyboard and mouse with it.
4: Go Jeffrey
5: so i've tested a few a uh, couple of these they're just basically standalone cameras that uh do the ai and uh there's a couple i have downstairs that uh can do up to seven faces at at the same time because of the lens and of course the uh the display or the uh, view of the uh, of the lens there uh which i think is I don't, I'm not sure about this one, but, you know, you can get to about 150 degrees or more. And the cool thing about it was with those cameras, uh, you could move around and it would still detect you. You could cross the paths and it still know exactly who it was. So I'm guessing that this is going to do the same thing. But as Courtney said, you know, it's very static. So you got to be around the table. That's for sure. Um, but uh, it, I, I think that it's you know it's not the best technology. We probably wouldn't use it for something like this. But if you're in a regular conference call, it'd be nice to have something where you could hook up uh, external like lav mics to each person. But other than that, I think it would be a great conference item. There you go, John. Every one of these proprietary pieces of
3: hardware die; they're worthless. I think conference rooms are over. Everybody set up a good workstation at their desk and they can talk all in Zoom from their desk.
4: Yeah I I I have to admit that I think you have to really rethink like redesigning conference rooms to make this work. Like rather than um, I think that, the. I mean, I get it. I get it. Everyone's trying to figure out how to, I mean, the, you've you've got a 360 camera and you're going to figure out how to cobble together something. You know, it, this is a definitely when you have a hammer, everything's a nail, you know? So you've got, you know, Kando uh, makes um, Kandeo or Kando makes, uh, makes 360 cameras. And they're like, well, let's figure out how to sell more of them, you know, and so selling um, kind of hobbled office managers, uh, things that, you know, um, things that they can kind of stick together so that their conference rooms aren't as bad as they really are. Um, you know, I get it. There's a business there. There's, there, there's a business to 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 um, basically uh, paper over the fact that all the conference rooms were not built for what we're doing. Um, there are a handful of them. There, there I've definitely worked with companies who built their conference rooms around video conferencing. And when they did that, and I don't mean put something at the end of the room. They built it. I there's a um there's actually a company in uh, uh in St. Louis. I'll just leave it at that right now. But I you know, when I work with them, everything that sounds good, it looks good, and they're like, Yeah, we paid attention to that when we built it. It's like you know, like it was, you know, and the whole thing looks that way and, and it feels comfortable talking to them. So it's not impossible to do this. It is impossible to retrofit um all glass conference rooms. And make them actually work like that's not going to work like, you know, and you need to rip them out and put ones in that actually make sense. I I do. I will say that after our our experience with the Final Cut user group, the Final Cut virtual user group, I really think that building them kind of in the, you know, not maybe not in the round, but in some kind of uh, less geometric box sense and put the cameras on the outside, you know, shooting in. Um, may make more sense um, than what, what we're doing right now um, only because it, it really um, now the problem is you got inclusions and everything else you put them in the center of the but but i anyway i just think that it's a it 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 the conference room thing is as john said i think is dead <laughs> like you know like and and it's just going to slowly it, you know we're going to see people try to tape over it for a while but it's going to slowly wind itself out uh next question
3: Lois Richters in Davis, California, and coming to us with this question. What's the quality difference between iPhone's main camera and its selfie camera? On a Zoom call, would that matter, and how much does Zoom reduce resolution? Uh,
4: yeah, I don't know what the selfie camera resolution is now. I think it is still considerably less than the main camera. So the main camera is, uh, I, I don't know if it's a really effective, um, but I think that the selfie camera was, for quite some time, only delivering 720p. Um, and the main camera, I believe, was doing 1080p, um, and uh, and also, I mean, the main camera has a 48 megapixel capability. Where the selfie, I think, is still 12 megapixel, if I remember correctly. Um, and it was it was you know I think that I I think it it could make a difference if you're shooting something. I wouldn't want to shoot something I want to use with the selfie camera, but um, but I think that if you're on zoom, the amount of work it would take to not to use the other camera. Would not be worth it. So I think that that's the. But I think that you're. I, you have been for a long time, or for a lot of time. It, it, I think you've been limited to, a 720p signal, um, when you do when you use the selfie camera. But I'm not. I'm not 100% sure that that's the case right 48 now. 48 megapixels for the main, 12 megapixels for the selfie. It looks like. Right, but and 12 megapixels is enough for, for 1080p video, <laughs> so that's, that's much lower. But I don't think that the self for some reason I don't think that the selfie was delivering 1080p at least in the past, and I haven't tested it um, from the phone. When I'm on the phone, I just assume I'm going to use the selfie camera. So, um, and when we bring people in, we assume that they're going to use that. But for a long time, up at, least, at least until the last couple of years, it was a 720p signal out of the selfie and a 1080p out of the, out of the main camera. So we should take a look at that. Um, next question.
3: Al Trivet in Carmichael, California, what are the reactions to Apple's
1: M3 hardware releases? Go ahead, Mitchell. I laughed, I cried, I swooned. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, it's great that they came out with it, but they put it in the wrong machines. You know, you're, you're typically expecting that the top-of-the-line uh, high-end Mac, the uh, the Mac Pro, would end up with the uh, the M3, but that was not the case. They stuck it in other machines that you would not necessarily have uh, anticipated. We talked a little bit about this on After Hours last night, and I know Alex has a very definite opinion on it, but I think I'm one of those confused people, Alex. You go, Bill. Yeah,
3: I think part of the reason is I.O. stuff, and this is why I'm thinking, because I remember the M2s uh, came out, the MacBook Airs first, And then they migrated to the larger laptops. And I'm wondering if it's just having to plumb in all that connectivity. You know, I'm sitting here in front of a MacBook Pro, and I've got, like, it's driving five, six, seven screens. It's got all sorts of uh, AirPlay and other things coming in and out of it. It's a very complex internal design machine. The Air, which I have sitting over here, I pulled it out of the studio because somebody asked me what color it was, this has two ports, and that's it. So without a port extender, it just doesn't have as complex an internal arrangement. So I'm wondering if the reason they put those newer chips into the simpler machines was it just took less engineering work to get there. And then as they continue the engineering work to plumb all the rest of the, the octopus out of it, they make those decisions to bring it down to the... or bring it up to the more confusing or more complex rigs.
2: Go ahead, Chris. I think when it comes to these types of decisions, uh, more often than not, and by more often than not, I mean probably always, they are decisions made from a marketing standpoint and not from an engineering standpoint. You gotta remember, Apple is a $3 trillion business, depending on market cap, depending on what day of the week you're looking at their stocks, <clears throat> excuse me. And it, that's not by accident. So I, I think these are marketing things. And we, it, it's very easy for us to say, I need it in my machine. Of course you do. And so does every, everybody else is saying the same thing. And Apple is saying, we can make we can make more money if we do it this way. Let's do it this way. Right, go ahead, Courtney.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a, a nice little little speed bump. You know, it bumped up the speed on, over the M2s, the previous releases. And I, I like the fact that they are uh, listening to some of their users out there and adding additional ports like HDMI ports and an SD card slot to the sides of the Mac Pros, so MacBook Pros. I think they're reserving the... Uh, the Mac Pro, the desktop uh, for an Ultra M3 Ultra, or, you know, they didn't announce that type of chip that has two two of the Max chips on the same die, uh, like they did with the previous M2s. So, uh, or is it M1? Is is? I think the the is the Mac Pro, the current Mac Pro, have an M2 chipset in it. I'm not sure. Same as the Studio. But anyway, uh, so I thought it, it was it was a it was a limited improvement, but nothing's changed architecture-wise, really. Uh, they added a couple of cores, moved a few cores around, from uh, uh, you know performance to uh, economical, to energy conservation, etc. But um, it's basically the same with about a fifteen percent, fifteen to twenty percent boost over the previous last year's models. Joe Jeffrey.
5: Yeah, I totally agree on that. You know, the one thing that uh, they kept saying, that the two parts, uh, which goes in line with what Chris just said, is that uh, the N3 chips, the 3-nanometer chips, were a lot harder to produce at this point in time. And as far as I've seen, I've not seen any news article saying anything about the production going back to some sort of normalcy. So I'm I, they're pretty much hedging their bets that people really need the MacBook Pros, really need the iMacs, over the iPads or anything like that so I'm I'm still guessing that we're going not going to see an M3 iPad until maybe March of next year if not a little bit later but we'll we'll see what happens there but I'm, I'm fairly impressed that they brought out three different chips and and I can't wait to see how many dies they can put together to make like the super ultimate supercomputer that you could put into your bag.
4: Yeah and I think a if you're an M2 owner i don't think that that you're the target market for this um that presentation the presentation is really hey look at how much faster it is than an M1 and most importantly look at how faster it is than an intel 11 times faster than an intel so it it is it is driving home to the folks that i mean and and when we say intel my laptop a five-year-old intel um what they're talking my laptop which was the last version of intel's that were released is right here and i'm still using it and i have to admit i looked at it and i was like 11 times faster i may want to start thinking about a new laptop but not yet but but i'm but i'm but it put it, it adds pressure but that's what they're selling to they're not selling to m2 owners they're selling to intel owners that are still hanging on to their intel machines and going you know It can be a lot faster. (laughs) Like you know, life can be a lot better. uh, You know, for you know, for for this and and so I think that that's really where they're. I mean, because that's where the sales are for them. I do think that it's it's weird to not release all of them at the same time. It's weird. It's weird. It's it's not a good experience for the. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a good experience for customers to have bought studios and Mac Pros and then have slower chips than the laptops. Um, I think that Apple will eventually have to sync this up where they, they're they all getting released at the same time. Um, and at some point, they have to either delay the studio and, and the Mac Pro update or speed it up a little bit and get it out there so that they're all... Because what they want what, to... what I think the better way to talk about this is here is the new M3 chip and here's what, here's how it expresses itself across the line, you know, and you can have ultras and this and that and the other thing. And I just think that the splitting the pro one, because now you have pro, if anything, the pro should come first, you know, if you're going to do that, then release the pros with M3s first and say, Look at how great this is. And we'll eventually get to the lower end ones. And the reason that they don't do that is because the, the pros are such a small part of their sales and the laptops are such a large part of their sales that they're not doing that. But for the pros that own them, it's a bummer. You know, and I feel like they should really should sync that up. But I, you know, it's the reason that they're doing it is because the priority for sales is to, to sell laptops because they they own that market. <laughs> you know, like, you know, and, and when you see, when you see, like when you go to, a, I mean, it's not that everybody has Mac laptops, obviously it's still a very small percentage of the market. But if you walk into a marketing department or a, even an airport, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like there's like, I don't see a lot of PCs, <laughs> like, you know, the, the, that are there, you know, so, uh, you know, so it's, it's an interesting, um, you know, they, they own this certain part of the market and, um, and they continue to extend that. Uh, next question.
3: And next one comes from Jeffrey Powers, Madison, Wisconsin, here on the panel. The Apple event used beast Grip hardware on the iPhone 15. Has anyone used this camera cage before? And he's got a link to it. Go ahead, Courtney. I, I haven't used
0: it, uh, but it does look interesting in that they have a selection of lenses, including this anamorphic lens down here so that you can add a anamorphic lens to your iPhone and uh Shoot uh, one one three on a one three three on the square aspect ratio chip and give you a wide angle uh, using a lens anamorphic and stretching those pixels in post. Uh, so that looked kind of interesting. Uh, and it, other than that, it looks like your your typical cage that you can mount a phone into. I I don't think it offers any type of uh, uh, stabilization or anything. It's just a way to hang on to it and mount lenses in front of the existing lenses
4: yeah b script's been around for quite some time I mean I think the first time I saw him was six, six or seven years ago a lot of social teams use b script uh, we see them a lot when we're working with a large social team from an ad agency or whatever b script is probably the one Beastgrip grip is probably the one that we see the most um, it's just it's very very flexible it has a lot of it has a lot of lens options um, it is um, you know the small rig and the b scripts are the two that we see probably the most but b script is in a social team what we see from social teams is probably the one that they use more often than any of the other ones um it does give you a lot and i think that apple's spreading the wealth a little bit we saw a small rig in um i for some reason i like the small i I will say that personally the lens options look better in the b script um i like the small rigs i feel like they, they feel more rugged than the b scripts that's why i have small rigs is is mostly that i i don't need the lenses and they, they look interesting. And some of the newer ones, I haven't looked at it for years, but I always felt like the Beast Grips, the Beast Grips had this like, it, they were well built, but they just had too many things going on um, in them compared to the to the small rigs. Um, but we saw a small rig in the, um, Rodrigo video. And so I think that Apple's probably going to, when they show behind the scenes, they are probably going to kind of spread the wealth among different ones because you can do the shot with all of them. And it may be up to the filmmakers, but it's also something to kind of think about there. Um, but it's, it, they're very good rigs. Um, both of them are very good rigs. Um, next question.
3: Vincent Alvarez in Bellingham, Washington. What's a good portable monitor for uh, that's about eight to ten inches HDMI for using with an ATEM and possibly outside on dry days only? Work using with a drone. Uh, budget is three to five hundred dollars US.
4: Well, obviously, when you're working outside, what you're really looking for is um, you're, you're going to be looking for nits. You know, how many nits is the is the is the monitor? Uh, the ones that we bought at that price range have typically been uh, Lilliput, um, and I don't know, I always, they're always putting out new ones. I, I know that they, they since, since I used to buy them direct, we bought so many puts that we stopped buying them on Amazon and started buying them directly from the company in bulk. So, um, uh, so I, I get emails of like, hey, this is the new one. And I know I just got some new ones, um, some new ones there. I can't find them right now. But put is one that, um, uh, that I would look at. I think that the, I mean, you're, when you say eight to 10, it's kind of a weird size. Um, but if you go to, um, like you can get a LilyPut 5.5 just to put it in perspective. So it's a little smaller than what you're looking at, but it's 2000 nits, uh, HDMI monitor for 200 and, uh, um, $279. And so they've got, you know, I'd, I'd have to look at, you know, they've got some 10 inch ones as well for 329. And, you know, they, I, we, when we started buying them, they were very, uh, Um, They're a little rough, um, you know, but what, but they were cheap and I still have some laying around and they worked pretty well and they've gotten a lot better over time. Feel World is another one that is out there that, um, that people use. Um, I haven't bought a lot of those just because I'm used to the lovely puts for, again, in that area. Here's a, there's a 10 inch one that they have here that is 1500 nits. And you really want at least 1,000 nits on your, on your screen, um, but 1,500 nits, um, $359. And that's a 10-inch Lily put, and that, that does both um, HDMI as well as 3G STI. And go ahead, Bill.
3: I'm going to just support that. I, I use a LilyPut here in my teleprompter rig, and the thing I like best about it is that they often have HDMI pass through, so you get an input and an output, which is a little hard to find. Uh, they're really good in teleprompters because they also have on board the ability to flip and do the rest of that stuff, so you can use it for both field work and teleprompting. And that's it's been really
1: solid for me.
4: Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, uh, Mitchell.
1: I have a uh, Feelgood 4K and a Andy Cine. 4k they're identical so they got to be made by the same people Two thousand a thousand nits i have to turn it down all the way because if i turned this up you'd probably see the light on my face well maybe in a different situation they're quite bright and then my next question is uh, what about small hd we haven't heard that yet
4: uh they're just a little more expensive yeah go ahead jeffrey
5: yeah small hd is, is a little more expensive but good i have the feel uh, the feel world sitting right in front of me as my confidence monitor i like those but here's an alternative if you get like a magewell and then you plug in the magewell ndi hdmi to ndi and then you can use your ipad with a program called top director which uh, captures the hdmi and you can actually purchase uh, color tools, LUT, uh, being able to apply lots and things like that to that and uh, you can use that as a remote uh, monitor that's detached from the ATEM.
4: Yeah. And I, and I think I would list, you know, the, the, what I was looking for trying to keep between 300 and $500. That's why I suggested the Lily puts, uh, as you go over that, there are the three big, big brands that i probably look at are Atomos, uh, small HD and Blackmagic, uh, Black, the Blackmagic 12G uh, monitor. I don't own one. I just haven't been able to d- justify it, but man, I've, I've seen it in production and it's a very pretty monitor. <laughs> so, and it records and everything else. Um, Atomos and small HD all record, but those are the big three that, that, once you go up above $500 that I'd start to look at. Uh, next question.
3: Next one comes to us from Mike Edwards in Brooklyn, New York. Morning, everyone. Comparing the M32C rack mount audio mixer versus the X32 Behringer from, uh, for the same thing, which one would be the panel recommend and why?
4: Uh, they are different um, in the sense that the um, the M32C, I believe, doesn't have any I.O. So it, it's, it's all expecting you to use Dante or something else like that or alternate. So um, uh, if I remember correctly, let me look at this. I just, um, yeah, yeah, the, it is a digital rack. Now we used to, Behring, I mean, Behringer used to make one that was the X32 um, core. Is what they called it, and what they did is they moved it to. I think. I think this is essentially what the X thirty two core was before. So um, if you if you look at it, it's not a. Um, I, don't, I can't get a good photo of it up, but it it's only designed uh, for digital IO. So I think it has one card you can put in it. So you can put a card in for Dante. Um, so it has all the things that an X32 has just no, I, just no analog IO. So, um, there you go. There's a good picture of it. Um, so that's your, um, so that's the difference. <laughs> so, uh, I have not, I bought some kits with that and just found that every once in a while I needed some, I still needed some I/O um, in it, so uh, we had a bunch of the Behringer cores because I was like, "That's all I need. I just need Dante." And I just found having no like if it had four channels of of analog, I'd be okay. But usually, it's like, "Oh, I need to deliver something out, and I can't do that." So um, I would still re- recommend the X thirty two over top of the M the um, the M thirty two rack mount because I, again, I think that. Um, but if you if you're absolutely sure that you're only doing Dante and you just want a mixer. Um, A hardware mixer for that, then it's a, I mean, it works, the interface is just the same and it works just the same. So um, it's, and I've definitely used the Behringer version of this. I haven't used the, the, uh, this version because every time I get close to it, I go, oh, I'm going to need two in, two outs. (laughs) So next question.
3: Next one comes from Brody Hefner in New York City. These revealing CT scans by Lumafield, presented by Adam Savage, demystify USB and Thunderbolt cables so effectively that I think every cable consumer should see them. What do the panelists think? We had those on the show before, and, and they're cool to see those.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the, the the main thing is I just wish that they had to do that for everything they put on Amazon so that we actually knew what we were doing. I mean, I don't have a CT scanner at home. And so, um, so I think that, but I think that we, we should, somebody should do as a service, just do CT scans of all of them, all of them, and then put them in their reviews. Like, this is what this one is. <laughs> this is what this one is. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I thought
0: I detected a microtumor in one of them. But uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, yeah, they, ch- a lot of people don't realize that in those molded chip connectors, there's a lot of uh, 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 chips that are, uh, in the molded connectors, there's a lot of chips built into a lot of those, especially the USB-Cs and the HDMIs that can have... Uh, you know, leveling chips or amplifier chips or, you know, A to D converters are all built into the actual, you know, shield on the chip, uh, a shield on the connector itself. Next
4: question.
3: Next one comes to us from Jens Olson in Sandpoint. Idaho, could you create a spatial audio track of a live concert performance recorded with an ambisonic microphone, and how would that compare to a traditional studio mix spatial track? That's a QR yeah. code by the way.
4: Yeah, so um, uh, we we've done that I mean we've done some version of that and and I think that if you go back and look at our ambisonic to 5.1 that we that we did with Mickey uh, I think that you get a little sense of what that of uh, when we had a whole microphone array set up so I wouldn't I'm not going to try to explain all of that because there's a a show that we've already done that that covers that. But um, anyway, so uh um you can do it it's not going to be the same as, as if you had all the individual tracks when you have all the individual individual tracks you can put them in a lot of other places if you want to kind of create that experience you you may be able to do that um fairly effectively uh it's not going to again it's not going to be anywhere near the same as having the individual tracks um for but what you can do is use there's a, a variety of plugins that will convert your ambisonic to 5.1 or or other things you know so and it you know and so you can and you can use a first order second order third order mic it's going to build that space and then you can convert it down um and again we did a whole a whole thing on it so i would take a look at that um but uh you know i i would you know if, if someone said are you going to do a live and i do live stuff where we do it to either you know um 5.1 or 5.14 or other things like that and we definitely want all the tracks not only do we want all the tracks you know, a lot of times we want to know if the if the artist has a click track. And if the artist has a click track, we want them to come in and track things with us so that we can understand what they're gonna do. And then we start putting in you know, we start building up the automation for it and everything else, because to really get the the full value out of a surround, you need a little bit more time. So, um so anyway, those are things to think about there. Um and I, I wouldn't I don't think ambisonic is, I mean, we've done some ambisonic at concerts and I don't think it's a great, I don't think it's a great experience. It's, it's okay. Um, I think ambisonic works better when you're grabbing just kind of general stuff around you. So we've done that a little bit with our, um, coverage of, of, of events. Uh quick reminder, even though, uh, we have still a lot of questions, just remember, reminder that we will do a little bit of a countdown clock discussion and then we might go back to questions. So, we, we, so just because there's a lot of questions, we probably still are going to get through them all. If you have more questions, you can go ahead and ask those now. Vote on those questions. It really does make a difference when we have this many questions for the producers to be out there voting on the questions. So please vote on the questions. Um, and um, uh, if you are not in Makana, you can go to askofficehours.com. I'm sorry. Well, you can, go to, you can go to that, but you can go to askofficehours.global. And if you go to askofficehours.global, um, you can actually ask those questions any time of the day. So um, we're bringing a lot of these questions. You'll notice that Bill's saying, oh, this came in from the QR code. Um, you know, that, the time it comes in is all over the place. And so it's really worth, uh, you know, when you, when you think of the question, just go to askofficehours.global and throw it in. All right, next question.
3: West Decker in Fort Worth, Texas, comes up with this one. Apple's new M3s with their new GPU architecture that includes hardware ray tracing, hardware mesh, mesh shading, and dynamic caching seems ideal for the Vision Pro. I'm curious if the panel thinks it might ship with the M3 and if anyone might want to buy me one.
4: <laughs> Get in line, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, uh, um, if you, I, I'll, I'll be happy to buy you one I got in my, in my, with my spare spare cash. Um No, I... I uh, I still think that they're going to, they may go to the M3. I mean, the release date is in the right timing for them just to silently shift to, it would make sense for them to put out a test units in M2s and then go, oh, by the way, here's an M3 and it actually does 120 frames per second and it does more, you know, so I don't think it's out of the question that they could run a manufacturer, you know, move to the M3 and surprise everybody and then apple's probably not surprised by the by the bump it it probably made sense to give them out there at that speed um so i i'm not i wouldn't be surprised if if the if we saw an m3 i thought about it a little bit last night and i think that they could absolutely update it and um and give us something faster i don't know if they will but it's quite possible uh next question
3: cindy drosdar from Erie, colorado says how about I have about 13 USB accessories to plug into my Windows desktop. What hubs do you recommend?
4: And this also comes in from the QR code. Yeah, Um, yeah, go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, OWC has quite a few, but they don't have 13. I think they have a 14 and an 11, out of which uh, there's Ethernet and HDMI, maybe in the display port. So I think you're pushing the limit uh, at 13. Maybe more likely you're going to get a 10-port USB-type hub in a single unit. Go, Jeffrey.
5: There are a few 13 uh, port hubs out there, um, but it's not going to be 13 all USB plugs. It's going to be 13 ports that have an Ethernet, have HDMI, and then, of course, some Ethernet there. Uh, when you start plugging in more stuff, especially at your Windows PC, and we don't know what the, por- the hub is that you're plugging into, you could be ha- plugging into a USB 3 plug that's doing 5 gigabits per second, or you could be plugging into a USB-C that's, that's actually Technically a USB 2.0 port or a Thunderbolt port, uh, which can do 10, or f- uh, a Thunderbolt 3, which can do 10, and Thunderbolt 4, which can do 40. Uh, but the whole point is that the when you start plugging in a whole bunch of stuff into that 13, that's going to start affecting how you go. I have hubs where I plug in, and then I'll you know I'll plug in like uh, capture card and uh, and a uh, SD card, and then I'll plug in the mouse and I start using the mouse, and it'll start jittering all over the place because it just doesn't have enough bandwidth to work while the other two are working, plus it gets really hot o w c pluggable, and both of the ones that I recommend have their own power to it so that you don't have to rely on the computer to power uh your devices and then plug in the least powered items. Into the hub, like for instance, a keyboard, a mouse, uh, capture cards. If you're doing capture cards, try and do one, maybe two, but don't do uh, don't do too many because once again, it's got to talk back and forth, and it might slow down. You might have a big bottleneck in that.
4: Yeah, go ahead, uh, uh, Courtney. Can't hear you. You're muted,
0: Courtney. All right. Sometimes the click doesn't work. Uh, you can find these uh, multi-port USB uh, seven-port gears for about thirty-seven bucks. USB three point two, uh, Gen one. Well, that just may be charging and super speed. So, but I would suggest getting a couple of those and plug one into the front and one into the back because a lot of times the front the front USB ports on a desktop PC and the back USB ports are on a separate chip, uh, separate controller chip. So you get two different lanes. Of USB three going through two separate controller chips, and that way it will split up the bandwidth between the two controller chips. But uh, you could do it that way and get your fourteen ports with that seven port that I just showed.
4: And Bill,
3: yeah, I m- just took a quick look to see if there was anything out there, and there are some thirteen port ones. I, you know, you don't want anything passive. You need something as I'll plug in. This, unfortunately, is only USB type 3.0 so it depends on the peripherals if you have new things i probably wouldn't buy something with 3.0 courtney's right you want to go with the latest standard to get the long-term things but you don't really need one of the high powered data ports that converts it to 27 different kinds of signals in this particular case you're just looking for a usb extension so i'd go with a usb 3.2 multi-port that's not terribly expensive these are only about yeah 20 30 bucks Again, Courtney? And one thing I forgot to mention is if
0: you're going to use your mouse and your keyboard and your PC has some USB 2.0 ports, plug those into the 2.0 ports and don't put them on the split-out hubs. Uh, That way they're not going to interfere as much with all the other cameras and other devices that you can have on the 3.1s. Next question.
3: Uh, Gabriella in Malaysia says, I run live video production with an ATEM constellation, Ultra Studios for key fill, deck links for Zoom ISO and multicams. Program is to live streams or the occasional iMag. Would a sync generator be important in my workflow and how would it help?
4: So the the IMAG is the is the place that will make it'll make a difference. So if your cameras and your switcher are synced well, and basically you know that's the big thing, is that the cameras and the switcher need to be um, have a gen lock. If they're gen locked together, um, then what you're looking then then what you'll end up with is uh, much lower latency, a couple frames, which makes a huge difference on IMAG. It's not going to make any difference for the other stuff, <laughs> so, so the, but, but what it is going to make a difference is having your cameras and your switcher um, locked together so that the switcher doesn't have to wait for up to a frame or two to, um, to sync that frame up with the cameras. Uh, next question. Thanks,
3: Gabriel. The uh, Funchak Darji in Dharamshala, India says, greetings, panelists. What do you need to power
5: an ATEM Mini from a car battery? Yeah, go ahead, Jeffrey. Well, you would need a converter from a car battery to uh, plug into uh, whatever uh, plug you're going to be doing. I'm, I'm thinking U.S. plugs, but of course uh, uh, where your area is, of course, that that type of plug. Uh, I would highly recommend instead uh, looking at some of these, uh, convert- these batteries that are at least 10,000 milliamps that have the ability to do like a jump start to your car. Uh, I tested one early on that I had, and I can't remember the name of it, but uh, tested one early on with my ATEM Mini, and it kept that uh, thing running for uh, about an hour, 15 minutes. So uh, that's that's where I would go. It's smaller, it's more compact, and, and of course, you don't have to worry about open connections sitting, uh, sitting on a card or anything like that.
4: Good, Courtney.
0: You could probably get away with just an adapter that plugs the you know the cigarette lighter plug into a coaxial DC connector because it's 12 volts and it's plenty of amps. Um uh it's not gonna be regulated so it probably could get thirteen volts out, thirteen point four volts out, uh to twelve volts out, depending upon uh the state of charge of your your battery. Uh another possibility is to get uh make something if you're a DIY person you can get these little buck converters that are DC to DC converters and output 12 volt regulated at about two amps or three amps uh, up to five amps and just put one of those in the end in- to 12 volts in 12 volts out and you can adjust the voltage so it's exactly at 12 volts regardless of the input voltage and uh, that would give you a nice regulated DC output uh, and there's probably some things out there that do that but just a cable converter will probably work
3: Next nice question, Scott Mueller in Germantown, New York, has this one: Has anyone used a touch box or tour box? Excuse me, tour box for Premiere Pro editing
1: or a loop deck? Which is better? I go ahead, Mitchell. I always tend to uh, compare them to uh, just a JKL. Uh, key uh keyboard short- shortcuts that you have, and that that really improves your efficiency of the two the touch box and the uh, or the touch yeah touchbox or the loop deck. I kind of like the loop deck a little bit more, but neither of them would be my answer because all i 'm really looking for is a nice weighted shuttle jog knob uh that uh, is not some tiny little piece of plastic that I got to like push around with my fingertip um, i don 't really like that; I just like that very. Uh, solid uh, weighted uh, uh, jog control. I even bought a uh, uh, an Avid Artist uh, control, uh, which I use for my Avid system. And in the beginning, it was kind of cool. I had flying faders and I had a jog knob knob on it. But uh, before too long, it just got pushed off to the side. And J K and L is your friend, so you may not need either of them. Good, Bill.
3: I'm kind of in the same place. Here's the tour box. It, it's you know these little controllers that do specialized functions. I guess if you're constantly going to just be in the same seat and you're never going to move and you're never going to go on the road and you're never going to take it anywhere. You know, whatever peripherals you want, you will normally get used to. Like Mitch, though, I find that with all the keyboard shortcuts I have available in my edit system, I just want my hands on the keyboard at all times. Even reaching out for a mouse is something that I do not do anymore because... I once shot an overhead picture of how many times I had to fling my arm out to take care of all the to the mouse, back to the keyboard, to the mouse, back to the keyboard. And it just looked really inefficient and silly. So I keep everything touchpad on a laptop, and I never have to move my arms. And I think that makes me faster and more fluid than having to reach out to an external controller. Your mileage may totally vary.
4: Yeah, I will admit that I I own both of these, and I have tested both of them, not with Premiere but with other apps. I just find myself going back to the keyboard. <laughs> like, I just don't... Like, I just can't quite get myself... And I have, I have like, all kinds of hardware devices. I'm like, this is going to be the hardware device that I use. And it's going to make me so much faster. And then I'm like, ah, back to key- keyboard shortcuts. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Mitchell.
1: If they could take my uh, my HyperDeck Shuttle... From Black Magic and adapted as a remote control for my Premiere Pro, I'd be very happy. It's got a great knob on it, and the start, stop, play would be a nice little addition. But uh, like all of you guys, I like to keep my hand on the keyboard, and the mouse is is a distraction. You don't want to go unless you have to. Next question,
3: Andy Toy in Waterloo: uh, What's a good camera or phone to use for stills and video at fast sports events like Formula One?
4: Um. Camera or phone? Uh, at this point, you know the the phone is probably you, this is where you start to get to want to have uh, something a little bit more, <laughs> you know. So to get great photos from a uh, from a race, assuming that you're going to get a good position, uh, that's where you start to want really long lenses. You're going to want to you know f- you know find places where you can where they're going to come around the curve and you're going to have some time to to shoot them there. Um, and so so, I think that that 's the the real challenge um for you i don 't I think phones are hard to shoot this kind of footage with um specifically and of course, when you 're taking photos or stills remember that there 's two different problems you have if you 're shooting outside and you 're shooting video, you want to keep that shutter speed to be just twice whatever your um, you know, so if you're doing uh one uh thirty frames a second, you're at one sixtieth. You know, you don't if you turn it up to one twenty one one twenty or one two forty or whatever, you're gonna end up with a problem where you don't have, you know, the motion blur looks weird. It looks very stuttery. So so what you're gonna need to do is is um, for video, you're gonna need ND filters if you're outside so that you can you can maintain um that process. You're also typically in, in most cases, you're gonna wanna stop down a little bit. So both of those go together because you're gonna want a little bit more things moving fast you tend to want a little bit more depth of field um and then but with stills of course you can turn the your shutter speed up and so you can you can be able to shoot during the and it just depends on how much motion blur you want when you're taking that photo yeah good courtney
0: yeah alex covered
4: most of it i was gonna say for stills you want to get a uh a
0: very faster shutter speed so you might want to set it to a little higher ISO and uh, stop down a little more it'll get but the problem is the stuff in the background that will be in focus so you kind of lose the effect of speed and what a lot of guys like to do when is pan with the car while they have the shutter open uh, with a slower shutter speed that makes the car be more in focus and the background be highly blurred it gives much more an impression of speed uh, in that case so in that case you'd want to go with a longer shutter speed, you know, uh shutter stays open longer uh, than a shorter shutter speed which will guarantee that fast moving objects are more in focus and less blur.
4: Next question.
3: Robert Sbobidi in Poland says I watched the Central European rally this weekend on YouTube with Dirtfish mainly having interviews on site recorded with an iPhone and action shots by Red Bull and so forth, captured with high quality cameras. Is this the way sports events are now being produced?
4: Or more and more, yes. Um, you know, the the, the cell phone, you know, for again for stand-ups, the cell phones um are doing I think I think at some point someone said the cell phone looks pretty much the same, if not better, than the two-thirds of chips we're using for those things. Do they work well with live production? No. Do they work well as a, you know, as doing pickups? Really well, to the point where I have a hard time unless I'm doing kind of a real short depth of field and I want to be artsy and everything else. If I just want to grab that footage, you have to remember that these rallies, the foot- most of that footage is kind of throw away. Like no one's going to watch it again. And so being able to, um, you know, just grab it and be super portable. Um, now the kits oftentimes, I don't know what they used here, but oftentimes the kits for the phones become... Um, a little uh, heavy because they start putting all the stuff on that we saw for the Apple event um, to make them look better. One of the big advantages that they have is they have a cell coverage or Wi-Fi. And so, you know, what people are getting used to is being able to shoot those clips and upload them really fast. And so being, and especially if they're on a local Wi-Fi network and, and the server is somewhere that they can get to, um, they're able to push these, these much faster than they would with traditional video so traditional video they got to pull the memory card and they got to go this way and they got to do that here they're doing they're able to pull it immediately and if you look at what's happening now with black magic cloud um they're going to be able to just as soon as they hit stop it's going and, and same same thing with camera to cloud um you know the camera to cloud for for frame io they're able to deliver these in near real time back to the system and so um i think you're going to see a lot more of those pickups coming from from iPhones um, next question,
3: Evan Troxel in Talent, Oregon is up next. Has anyone a- a here recorded a roundtable conversation using an Insta three hundred and sixty camera just for the video portion, not audio, and then split the footage out into four talking headshots to cut between? Anything to watch out for in that
4: scenario? Uh, yeah, J- Jason Snell. I haven't done it, but Jason Snell's doing it. Like he's using the Insta three hundred and sixty to do that right now, or it, it, he might be using the the GoPro, but it's either the GoPro or the Insta three hundred and sixty, and he's doing exactly what you're talking about, which is to, is to, um, uh, he is um, using it for one of his roundtable things. You know, I, I think that it, it seems to work pretty well. He, he has a whole process to it where he's, he brings it in and I guess there's some software that he can cut to very quickly. And so you can, you can just cut to the folks. And I think that they even are now working on, they have some software that just, you can identify it and it'll go to those places based on the audio. So there's a, I, I don't think the video quality is very high. <laughs> like I don't like. I think that it it's okay, um, you know, for that. Um, but I, uh, you know, I think it's you get video out of it. Um, but he he seems pretty happy with it. Um, I'm I guess I'm used to bigger cameras and more stuff. So so I I um uh I would rather use a couple of the insta of the Insta360 links and put them up there and then have some presets where I can kind of jump to them. We've used those in the past and feel like that's been a better experience than what we're talking about here. Um anyway, next question.
3: Again from the QR code system, this time from West Decker again in Fort Worth, Texas. I want to thank you all for the warm invitation to join the panel yesterday. I'm not sure if I'm in the same league, what league, <laughs> as all of you, but I could try out for Office Hours Jester if there's an opening. I think there's people in line for that. Uh I signed up at officehours.panel. Jester didn't work as a
4: descriptor. I I, I didn't know I didn't know we uh um I, I didn't know if we had a um, league. I, I didn't know that there was a league. I got left out of the, the league conversation here. Uh, yeah, go ahead, uh, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, uh, if Wes, if you want to uh, join us for the, uh, uh, the show workshops, good place to get your feet wet, see how comfortable you can get. We've got all the uh, bells and whistles that you would normally see. So uh, it's today at uh, 12 o'clock uh, uh, Pacific and 3 o'clock Eastern.
4: Next
3: question. Next one comes to us from Cindy Drozda again in Erie, Colorado. If I plug a USB Type-A cable through an adapter into a USB 3.2 Type-C 20 gigabit per second port on my Windows 11 desktop, will I receive the full 20 gigabits per second?
4: No. (laughs) so you're limited to the USB-A speed so uh, you can connect the two of them together but you're only going to get that 3.2 if you've got the 3.2 speed the 20 gigabits if you have the USB-C on both ends of that um, and compatible USB-C but if you go down to USB-A you're definitely not going to get the speed Um, I don't know what I think that the speed on the A is like 500 or something like that it's very low you know compared to it so it gives you the compatibility but not, not the speed that you're looking for next question
3: Steve, you're off in Madison, Wisconsin. In the Blackmagic Cine- camera app for iOS, tapping the audio meters brings up a meter overlay with a gain slider. I can't move this slider. Does it require an external mic to be adjustable?
4: I don't know. Uh, I have a bad habit of not really using uh, my cameras for audio. <laughs> like I always do something separate um, to make that actually work. So I'm not sure if you need a um, an external gain or not. And I haven't connected external cameras it, but we'll take a look at it um i am using the black magic camera more and more um to make that work mitch you don't have to do that it's just a distraction for me it drives me crazy um so uh d- please don't do that <laughs> like it's anyway so um uh the um uh so anyway so so that's the uh yeah i can't i lost my train of thought like i, I can't have anyone <laughs> i i know what time it is um uh Sorry, I got a little lost. <laughs> so, it's okay. it's a don't, like, no one should signal to me. I understand what time it is. Um, anyway, so... Brain. So anyway, yeah. So, uh, um, the, uh, uh, uh we're going to have another hour here. <laughs> we'll talk about countdown clocks here in a second. Um, and, uh, the, um... Uh we have when uh, we we'll talking about countdown clocks here, uh, tomorrow we're gonna to talk about the the NAN uh the Korg Nano Control 2, um, which I'm really excited about. If you should watch the video on YouTube um and uh uh you know the uh sorry, I'm a little lost. Um so the um you should watch the thing on on YouTube uh, from the nano control uh I
2: can't. I can't, I can't get back on the Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I can't get back Chris on the legs. So. Here's what he wants you to do. You,
4: you only let got a couple a, seconds. A, you gotta manage yeah, this in got, ten yeah. seconds. I
2: made a super dense video. It's got a lot of information in it. Watch it. It'll help you ask questions tomorrow. We'll see you at eight o'clock tomorrow. Yeah. There we go. Thanks. And now we're gonna jump into the second hour.
4: <laughs> I think did we did we not jump into the second hour? Did we not go to the black? Did I miss it? Hold on, Okay. Um yeah, you got to go to black no matter it, what. everybody, this is a little looser week because we got to Oh, system okay. There's <laughs> some yeah. kind of system issue, so we're, yeah. we're we'll figure that out. So again, and, and and again, what we're trying to um we're trying to figure out uh you know, this is why we're not taking on external guests and why we're going to labs and why we're doing other things is to kind of figure out the system um and uh and so we're we are uh and right now the system is <laughs> It's not working. <laughs> so so anyway, so we're an active speaker until we get to the other side of that. Um, and uh, so anyway, yeah, so the... Uh, what we're going to do, what we're doing this week, next week, probably for a little while is these little labs. And the idea is that they're not really a presentation. Um, they're more of a, like, we're just going to kind of open something up and talk about it, answer your questions about it. Um, you know, Chris is going to do one on, on, again, on nano control tomorrow. Uh, he had a great video that is a great presentation. It'd be great open for a show. Um, and then, you know, Bill's going to talk about anatomy of a commercial on Thursday. Um, we're going to talk about what's working and not working in the system, uh, on Friday. Um, And then, of course, Saturday and Sunday we have... um, Now, the the interesting thing about Saturday will be the same. It's just Q&A. Uh, Sunday, and I don't say just Q and A. I mean, it's, I, I I like the Q and A the best, um, and uh, I find I find I find the second hours to be fairly stressful. Um, anyway, so the uh, and if, you know, so the Q and As are, are the uh, uh, I know that the second hours are necessary, but the Q and As are much easier for me to to manage, which is why we do them on Saturday. Um, Sunday is introspection, of course, and then we talk about all the stuff that you want to ask about uh, office hours itself. Um, anyway, so um, we're going to jump into uh, to. To countdown clocks. So, one of the things, and I'm going to try to grab a couple of these. I was having trouble. I had a keynote document and I couldn't find it. And um, I, was, I was like, I tried to make these labs so I wouldn't have to find things. And now I'm digging around trying to find things. Um, and so, uh, but uh, the, let me see if I can grab a couple of these here. Um, the thing that I wanted to show was, you know, one of the things that I have a pet peeve. And that's when people use off-the-shelf countdown clocks. So I, I will admit that I, I feel like you know the countdown clock should be part of the show, you know, and so it should look like the rest of the design that you have on a show. Um, and I'll show you a couple examples of this, and then we'll talk about how I create them. Um, let's see if I can let's grab a couple of these. And again, this is a lab. It's going to be. I keep on telling myself it's going to be a little more. Um, uh, laid back here. So, let's see if I can find another. Let's see. Um, let's see. I'm just
0: going to grab a couple of these things.
4: Oops.
2: I made the mistake of uh, hitting something that will open Photoshop while you're mm-hmm. clicking. Yep. Ah. I think what's interesting, Alex, is that you have really taken uh, the mindset that the show starts well before the show, and that there's some technological reasons for doing this. Uh, what do you, you use a term? Uh, cooking the system or heating the system or I can't remember what yeah. it is. Warming the edge. Warming the edge. There you go. Uh, and that um, helps you get. Uh, you know, all the bugs out, everybody gets to see, oh, look, I'm looking at a signal that's actually functional. There's some music. I can make sure the audio is good. There's motion in it. I can see that I have a good signal. So anybody who's interested in watching from the top gets to see all of that. And that's why an uh, some motion in that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, so having, so a couple of things, one is, uh,
4: there are things to do before your show and, and, and there are different levels of quality of, of what to do. The best thing to do before your show is another show. <laughs> so the best thing to do for your show. So pre-show is the best way to handle this, which is we're going to warm the audience up if you go to see, I don't, I don't know any late night, late night with whoever. I don't know everybody's quitting now, so I don't know who's who anymore. But, but, um, but late night, the late nights. There's a whole show before the show for the audience. Why do they do that? To warm the audience up, to make sure that the that you know, so there's a comedian that comes out and they tell you a bunch of jokes. There's people get, they're telling you they're warming you up to tell you, you know, we really you're you're part of the show. The usually the host comes out and says, "Hey, how's it going? I'm uh, really excited to have you here." blah 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 and they tell, you know, like Stephen Colbert told the famous story of his like how he met his wife, you know, in one of the pre-shows someone recorded that. So there's a lot of things that um that the pre-show can do. And it's really the best thing to do is to do a pre-show of 20 or 30 minutes before your show. Let's give people some reason to be there. Someone's typing and the the mics open. Um, and, uh, so the, um, uh, the, uh, so the, um, uh, yeah. So, so the thing is, is that you want to, um, so that you have the, you have the, uh, uh, Sorry, I keep on losing my, my train That's of thought. That's right. Font. It's an audience I'm just having trouble. Like I what just you're
3: saying essentially. Like so so anyway,
4: so so you have this this um, uh, you, you know one of the things to to look at there is you have to pre show. Now the second good, second best way to do it is do movies. So do movies of you know take like one of the things that we did. Um, there was a. Uh, you know, you can play an hour and a half of the movies that were done over the last year and then you're going to go into a live stream and there are lots of people watching because they, they, they're, they're, it gives them something to do. They know, now the key is you still, with all of these things, you want a countdown clock sitting over top of them. So you're either going to key the countdown clock over top of them because you want to constantly tell the audience this is when this is actually going to happen. So you're not, you, what you, the worst thing to do is put up a still. So, and, and what Chris was talking about earlier, if you have an open, if you're, um, if you have this open, you want to have music in there and you want to have something moving. And that tells us that something... I had one where we had a still up. The live view had frozen. The live view had... I mean, it would, it, it, there was a reason for it. I mean, not, the live view had not frozen. Someone, I had an SDI cable running and it, this is one of the reasons I never use SDI uh, uh, um, bridges, you know, like the little, little, little um, bridges between the SDI cables is because some idiot grabbed onto the um you know decided they were going to feed their monitor with it because it went through a room with a monitor they didn't have a feed of the program so they just took my feed and it didn't even work because it's going the wrong direction anyway it was just a it was a dumb dumb thing to do and it's um so the live view wasn't getting any feedback so it just sent a still it just sent the last last frame that it had so I thought I was going and when I went live nothing happened and the reason nothing happened was because th- there was no connection there. So having something moving um, in the background and exercising that tells you it's, it is a pulse. It tells you that there's something, that, that your live stream's working, that everything else is working. Having music there makes a big difference um, because it tells you that that's happening. Of course, it needs to be copyright uh, friendly, um, but, but having something back there, and you can get needle drop stuff to do that. And we do that all the time. Um, but it also, it also gives you control. So when you go live and you have some video going, that means now you can cut away from it. You're not going live. And then you have so many people go live and they're like, are we live yet? Am am, am I here yet? Can you guys hear me? That's all because they don't have a countdown clock. (laughs) So, so we started building all these countdown clocks. I'll show you a couple of them. I couldn't find the ones that I was going to show there, but I can show a couple here. So like with each one of these, this is a pretty boring one, but the idea is, is you can see that these are, you know, we're making it look like the rest of the text, you know, that's in there. The you can see how we change this one so that the, the the countdown clock looks like what it looks like just another part of the piece that's actually uh, moving along. And you can see like that's a countdown clock that. So this is this gets into a much more intense countdown clock in the sense that, and this was just a sam- sample of it, but you have um you know and but this is still us just working on those countdown clocks to to make that work underneath layers and so on and so forth so you can you can do a lot here here's again each one of these the thing to notice is not so much the design themselves but in each one we're telling you what it is and it fits into um the look and feel Oops, there's, there's bill on the, on the thing I'll cover bill up there um anyway so um the uh so what's trending here, you can see the, the, you can see that the, there's the countdown clock there. So, so that is the, the, the idea but behind each one of these. And I've built hundreds of these. Um, obviously, I can't find them all today, but I built hundreds of them. Um, and basically, um, we are always trying to make them feel like they're part of it. In some cases, they're very complex. We put them, we composite them into the scene. Um, we make it all work. And so, um, uh, the, uh, let me open up... Uh, Let's see here. I'm going to open up motion here. Now, I used to use After Effects to do this, um, and, uh, uh, and, but I've moved to motion because motion was a lot faster. Um, and so it, it was a lot faster to produce these. And so I'm going to show you the basic construction of those and answer your questions. Um, and, uh, the, and, and so if you've got any questions and if, if the panel has any questions, go ahead and let me know. Um, if that, if, you know, if you've got questions here. So I'm going to cut to this, and this is, uh, here I am in motion here. Now, um, what I do is I'm actually going in here and adding a generator, and under text generators, you can see time code. Now, the one thing I will say is this is a bit of a kludge and it's really frustrating um, that I can't, that I don't have more control over it. I don't have any idea what font I'm in to create that um, let's see here. Like, it's like, like a like, dingbats font. I know. I was like, Let, we have to look at this now to see what's going on here. Uh, go into the text generator and, um, go into format. And I have, oh, <laughs> of course, uh, Star Wars font. So that's the, um, so there's, there's so it's the, in uh, Klingon. Yeah, no, it's in, it's in, it's in actually the, that is the language of the rebel alliance. So anyway, ah. so, so anyway, so, um, you know, cause you, cause at, you, know, I have that font as you do, Um, now this is a couple things about this that I, that I do, um, kind of neurotically is you'll be tempted to scale this up, but I, what I do is I move the size up here. I want to have, I want to do everything kind of programmatically. I find that it's a little bit more, um, predictable that way. Um, and, and so the thing, the thing about this text generator, and I want to thank, um, um, uh Mark Spencer for this. I was like, so what I used to do is I'd build this countdown, I'd I'd have this and it counts up. And then I would simply reverse it. I would, I would copy the layer and then, or I actually and I'd copy the layer and then reverse the time that I go back and forth. And 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 uh, Mark Spencer said, have you ever thought about just key key um putting keyframes for the time? And I was like, uh no, I have not. <laughs> so so here if you look at this current time code here, um, you just turn that off and if you turn that off, you can now, now it's nothing. It'll just stay at zero. Um, and let me see, I'm going to hit J here. This is going to tell me how long my time. So my time right now is like some random time here. So I'm going to change this to, uh, we'll change this to five and oops, there we go. So, um, There we go so now it's it is set and so now i can go back to my uh, time code here and if i go to my text generator what i'm going to do is i'm going to set the keyframe here so i'm going to set a keyframe at the beginning here and i'm going to go up to five and then i'm going to go now what i'll do is i'll go to the end and i'm going to set this to uh, zero set another uh, keyframe here and i'm going to set it to zero
2: like that. And now. I don't think like you set I, a keyframe. I think no, you I moved said, to the previous keyframe. I'm sorry. There we go. Let's do this. There we go.
4: How did I? Labs. All right. So here you can see the, the, you can see the, um, the, the, here. So now it's counting down. So there's the countdown clock. Now, one of my big complaints about this. So this is a nice quick countdown clock here, but I've got all this extra errata and there is no way to get rid of it. <laughs> there's no way to turn it off. It is so annoying that, that Apple doesn't have a way. And, you know, in, fa- in fairness, I couldn't, I had the same problem in After Effects, you're, I'm using time code, which is the thing that counts up and down, but no one thought that maybe I want to turn the frames or turn the hours off, you know, so that I can just have the, the time here. And um, but, So what you have to do to make this actually work is, um, is draw a line. You, basically, in the group that's holding on to it, I'm going to uh, just draw a mask. And now I have my countdown clock. So so now the countdown clock's there. Now, the flex, by the way, is that I take this mask and I actually, if it's set to, and one of the things I first do is I scroll through and I make sure that the numbers aren't changing, um, that they're doing monospacing, which it is right here. And then what I'll do is I'll bring this in, this mask in, so I'm not showing that zero. And you want to get just outside that zero. And then you scroll through it, and the reason I'm scrolling through it is I want to make sure that my mask isn't um getting cut off now. the nice thing is, and you'll you'll have to change it if you change the font, but now I have a countdown clock, and that's it like you can comp this over top of anything that you want. The key is is that now, instead of being some you know kind of generic countdown clock, you know I have a countdown clock, and you'll see it get clipped here, and I can always fix that. but you can see it here where I go. I can change the size, but I can also, um, you know, make it any font that I want. So if I have a client that wants a certain thing and I spend a lot of time, so here's like Black Ops one. Um, and if I go back into my rectangular mask and I open that up a little bit, so that's an entirely different one. And so I've, I've now have this, um, you know, not, this is where, so see how it's backing, going back and forth? So this one is not monospaced, but like the Avenir one was. And so what I'll do, and so I'll go back to time code. And down here I can turn on monospacing. It's going to get really far apart. So now I've gotten it far further apart. Um, but what I can do is I can take my tracking and pull it back together. And the difference is it's it's harder to get exactly the spacing you want with when you go to monospacing because it's it's going oh and, and this happens to be a very hard font to do this with because to to cut the zero out there, and I may not be able to effectively do it. Yeah, there we go. Okay. So what I did is I changed it to mono spacing and that means that and if I t- click away from that you'll see it. But I want to be very careful that I clipped. This one's really hard because the characters are so close together. But this one it works. And so now I have it and and you can hopefully you can see that the value of being able to really have a countdown clock that mixes into whatever your client hands you or whatever you design as your countdown area. And now you have it. As a group, you can move it around. You can get it to where you want it. You can you know, do whatever you need to do um, to put that countdown clock exactly where you want it. Um, in, one of the nice things about motion that I like is the ability to also um, go into here and go, go to appearance and say, I want 3D text. And so it doesn't look very 3D yet, but I can go in here and say, um, actually, instead of single, I would like to have multiple. Now it's going to make, I should make a copy of it. Uh, let's see here. There we go. Um, so the front face, we will make say cracked paint on the front. But then on the front edge, I'm going to go in here and say I want to do metal. And we'll do kind of a, uh, let's see, aluminum foil. Let's try that. So now you have this kind of, um, you know, and, and we can make it thicker. So like the depth, you know, there's the, you know, so now I'm starting to make it a thicker, um, piece here and what's kind of cool and i can make this let's say this should probably be darker so i'll make that like an iron that gives it kind of a dark area and if it's over something brighter you'd probably see it better but the point is is now it's a 3d object and it's still as going and rendering it is just as fast as it was before so you know being able to build more complex ones and this is probably not the best oops see do that um And I just undid something that was important. Let's see here. But I can, um, and this is, I probably picked one of the harder ones to do it in. But the, what I can do here, of course, is go back at any point in time and go in here and, you know, change whatever that, uh, you know, what these are. And and they can be, again, in 3D. Um, So if I go into, let's see, try to find one that's, not so great. Oh, if you you could do Star Wars, if you wanted to, here there's there's your Star Wars countdown clock, um, in time. If you know, so if uh, that's super geeky, by the way, if you do a Star Wars show and then you do the countdown clock in Star Wars, and everyone's gonna have to figure out um, uh, <laughs> what the what to do there. And you know, with all of these, you can you know, I have Avenir, I have, um, so we have that there the, uh, go back in here, we can increase the depth again. Um, we can also increase how big the front round is. Um, so we can have the weight, you know, or, or um, front edge size so that can, you know, kind of get increased here. So, and again, I can, I can play with that mask to get that right. So if I just go in here and I'm going to, you know, open that mask up a little bit to make sure that... So with each one of these, you might have to do that. But you can see how these, these can be, um, you know, very customized to make that work. And then you just hit render. You put it wherever you want it and you hit render out. And that's really the whole of the lab here is just to kind of explain that, that this is something you can build out. And so I, I think that the, when I see people using countdown clocks that are not customized... I'm like, it's not that hard. <laughs> it's, it's not that hard to make a good countdown clock, you know, and, and it just really frustrates me to wa- watch it, um, to have someone just kind of clump in a countdown clock. I feel like I can do all these controls. Um, the funny thing is, is that most of this stuff is supported by the OS and, and on a Mac. Um, so you could probably build an app that would do all the things that I'm talking about. Um, but I think that it's, it is a, I don't, I think that the countdown clock is part of the show. Um, you know, I, I think that, that that's the thing that I that I want to keep on underline. It's part of the show and it's part of the branding. It's part of everything else. It's introducing people to that feel. And I think that it's important to, um, you know, to, to, do, to make that available. So anyway, that's, and it's, it's a $50 application that you pay for once. There's no subscription and uh, on a Mac at least. And you can do this in After Effects. Uh, the only way I know how to do it in After Effects is to do the whole thing that I talked about, which is that you pre-comp it you build the countdown clock, you pre-comp it, you take that comp, bring it back in, reverse the reverse the speed, reverse the playback direction and then you do the same. You know, it's the same thing. And neither of these and and I I have suggested to people that it would be great if there was just a countdown clock plug-in for uh for motion or even better yet keynote that just did the countdown. <laughs> like just do all the things I just did, but just have it all you have to do is take the time code plug-in and give me something that even if you just took the time to call clone and said, turn off, just had a button that says turn off hours and seconds or turn off hours, turn off seconds or whatever. Like that would be enough. (laughs) Anyway, no leading zero. Like there's like a couple buttons that you would add to this and then it would just be a countdown clock button, you know, thing. And, and so, yeah, go ahead, Chris. So
2: Alex, I noticed, and I'm launching motion as, as I speak here. Uh, Do I want to do a final cut title? Is that what I want to do?
4: I don't, I just do because I'm, I build the countdown clocks in motion. Um, yeah, you right. could, but I'm I'm saying I build the countdown clocks in motion, and I build the whole pay, the whole thing I build in motion. So I just do a motion project. I don't build it as a Final Cut, but you could. So so the thing, the again, if we didn't have this little problem with the mask, um, you would be able to very easily build this as a you know a Final Cut plugin or or generator that would just generate countdown clocks. All, all day long, <laughs> you know, but there's not any way to do it where there's not a little bit of tweaking. I guess you could, you could, you could build, you know, rectangular mask, right. Rectang- you could expose the right and left position of the rectangular mask. Um, in final cut, that'd be a little weird, but it'd be possible. Um, and um, so, so you could theoretically build a generator for final cut that would just do this. Um, anyway, it's, it's Again, I, I, th- I think it's really important. It's, it's, I find it fascinating that I've been building these for over 10 years and no one has built a tool that does it well. <laughs> you know, like, like it's just, you know, that looks pretty and does the thing. And, you know, it's, it's, a, uh, um, it's, it, it's amazing. And I've, you know, it's in my head that someday I'll build a countdown clock. It'll be a business. I'll make a million dollars, pay off my house, you know, all that stuff. Um, you know, but, uh, but uh, you know, I think that it's, it is a, it's a crazy thing. You know, because it looks so much nicer when you're doing live events. It looks so much nicer to have a real countdown clock that really feels like you built a frame and it, it's part of the branding and it makes it work there. You know, let's, let's, let's jump into a couple, the couple of questions that are there.
3: Absolutely. The first one comes from Robert Sababity in Poland. What's the best way to handle an overshoot when your countdown clocks reach zero and you can't
4: start the show? So funny thing about that. Um, there's a couple of different ways we handle that. One is that we say we have a will be starting soon. So starting soon, you know, and uh, so we throw a starting soon slide up. And now you're kind of a never neverland because you're going to stay starting soon. And everyone knows that they're, not, they're just waiting. You'll lose a lot of people. What we have found, it, it's kind of a funny thing. But what we found is scrolling back the countdown clock actually is more effective than doing starting soon. So you literally just say, you reset it. Like you go, well, how much time do we need? Oh, we need eight more minutes. And you pull the countdown clock back to eight minutes. And what you'll see is a bunch of chatter in the, in the, comment section where everyone's laughing ha 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 they're running late they're having trouble but they don't leave <laughs> so they they laugh they laugh um they'll they'll laugh but they won't leave if, if you put up a starting soon slide you have about you have 90 seconds like you have to get you have to, you, that only buys you a little bit of time before you just start seeing your viewership just go. Rrr. you know like they just don't know because they don't know when you're coming back and and that's the key um and that's why also by the way why an opening act is way better because we have tons and tons of shows where we do pre-show. Pre-show starts 20 minutes out. The main speaker is late. And the pre-show, you know what, the, what we're doing behind the cameras? We're going like this.
2: Stretch. We need you to stretch.
4: And they'll stretch. We had, we had a George W. Bush impersonator stretch for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> he just, Did just get one going, going like more? this. I don't know. I was super impressed, though. He stayed in character and just kept on doing his thing. And, and, um, uh, but, but the, the, so that's the big advantage of having someone live on is that they can give you softness of, okay, now we're going to this thing or whatever. And we'll be going to this thing any minute, blah, blah, blah. So when you don't do that and you have a countdown clock, you're better off scrolling the countdown clock back. It feels silly and people will laugh at you when you do it. And it's worth it. It'll still hold, it'll hold, but, but try not to do it twice. I have done it twice. <laughs> try not to. And, and it's almost for us, you know, we build our system so far ahead for us. It's almost always an issue of the talent being late. So yeah, next question.
3: Next question comes to us from uh, Bobby Rafferty in central Florida. Can you explain the different types of bevels in the countdown characters?
4: Yeah, I mean, they're all the 3D bevels that you can see here. So um, if you, if we look at this here, there's, uh, let's see if I select the time code. I mean, the, let's see here. Uh, you have round. I mean, you have beveled. It's hard to see. This may not be the best font for this. Um, let me see. Format. Let's see. Book. Go black. See if that works you can go in here and even increase the weight a little bit make it thicker like that um and so you can see there's you know there's bevel um each one of these you know they just they have all kinds of different and and if we can um let me see if i add a camera and switch to 3d oh now i just ruined my that's why we don't do 3d cameras i was like why don't i ever do that it's because you get all those numbers back but the um uh, if we grab the camera here, let's see here. Anyway, so the, y- you can, all these bevels, the best way to do this is just to go through and decide which ones you like. I have to admit that I don't know as much about the bevels. And the reason I don't know about the bevels is because I like rounds. <laughs> like I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't ever use anything other than, uh, rounded. So there's a lot of these that are available to me, uh, outlines and all kinds of other things that it's really cool, but I just you know, I just use the round, I find that to be nice. And um, uh, I think that I find that to be the most pleasing one. And of course, you can, you know, a lot of the stuff you can go in here and you can go, I'm going to do something darker like chrome on the front. And then you can give it kind of a nice, you know, this one's kind of crinkled, but I could go back and go, you know, I want something that is uh, more like, uh, so this is kind of a nice 3d look when it comes to that, um, to that process. Um, Next question.
3: Next question comes to us from Eduardo Augustine in Panama. The same you did with motion can be done in After Effects or DaVinci Resolve with time code keyframed. and it says a question. So he's wondering if it can be done in when After I, Effects or Resolve.
4: When I did it in After Effects, time code wasn't an option. I could use motion math to make it happen, but I didn't do very much of that. Um, it just seemed like it was too complicated to do what I was trying to do. And so um, I don't, and Resolve I've never tried and I have it in my head to go back and resolve. I have to admit the thing that really got me hooked on motion was the fact that I could do 3d titles. <laughs> so 3d being able to do 3d countdown clocks, uh, immediately had me like, well, that's motions now my tool to do that. And so, um, because I, I do like that. I don't use the 3d titles very as often as I thought I would, but when I do, it's really cool. <laughs> so, so anyway, you see, uh, we're actually not using the motion. I started with motion. The ones that we do at the beginning are not motion and The irony is I'm about to move to 3D clocks made in Cinema 4D. So it's a whole other thing Um, because I want to do, and the reason I'm going to Cinema 4D is specifically because I can't, I don't have control over the environment maps inside of motion. So I can't load an environment. Um, You get the environments that motion gives you, um, but you don't, but you can't change them and you can't put your own in. And so that's why I'm moving away. Uh, for bigger, like really complex ones, like the ones we're going to do for for office hours. Um, next question.
3: Michael Tan in San Diego, California. Is there a difference between a custom countdown clock with real-time countdown time for the event?
4: Right. So, the, I mean, I build these, and these are videos that go out. Um, there is, I have thought many times about the possibility of building these inside of... Uh, Unreal Engine, so that that we could dynamically control those, and um, there, you know, there, I think that there's a possibility of doing that, and I don't have a, uh, um, I don't have a solution yet, you know, to do that yet. But I, I have thought that a real time, whether it's Unity or Unreal or other things, would actually be a better solution because then we could drive it to the time, and we could speed it up and slow it down, and do a whole bunch of other things. And I just haven't had time to figure out um, how to build that behavior um, into the mm-hmm. system. I think that, you know, right now I'm using timecode because it's really fast and easy. Uh, my plan with Cinema 4D is actually to... Um, uh, my plan with Cinema 4D is is actually to uh, build a behavior inside the nodes of you know, this runs at every second, this runs at every minute, this runs at every, you know, and so the, the turn is not connected to itself. It's just these, these numbers know what they do and over the time and we have to get it just right. But to build it so that they just change, the funny thing with Cinema 4D is I'm thinking about how do I, can I rotate them in kind of thing, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. And that's that's the part that I'm still, still working on. And the idea there is to be able to, my goal with Cinema 4D eventually is to be able to put any font I want in and have it just do it you know, and just to be able to build build the 3D model for it and not have to do a lot of work every single time I want to change the font. So we're, we're going to work on that like I can do right now. with um, The one side effect, by the way, with motion is that when you do the 3D, um, motion still has the problem that Unreal has, which is that it doesn't anti-alias perfectly. So um, when I do 3D rendered, you, you can see, I don't know if you can see it or not, there's a little bit of aliasing that goes down the side here. The way I fix that is I render, I do actually the motion projects at 8K <laughs> and then I scale them down to, to, uh, to, to 1080p and that oversamples it and it gets rid of that, that aliasing. Um, so that's the one unfortunate part of 3D rendered stuff that's trying to work in real time is that it doesn't uh, anti-alias well. And um, even in the highest quality, you still see it a little bit. All right. Oh, there's one more question I think for
3: countdown yeah. clocks. Yeah, Danny Grizzle came in late from Longview, Texas with uh, I use Mimo Live as a CGI front end to an ATEM DSK. Putting a countdown clock on a Mimo Live layer is too simple with all the fonts of the host Mac.
4: Yeah, I think you can do it with, I think you can actually do a lot of that with Mimo Live. Um, I think that the uh, one of the things that you want to do is just make sure that it really blends in. You position that countdown clock uh, you know, I think that you can comp that in. And so it's just a matter of comping. my argument isn't so much that you should do it in motion. My argument is, is that the countdown clock should look like, um, the countdown clock should look like it belongs with it. It's not something you just turn on and it's in the center of the screen. You know, think about the design of that plate and make it part of the branding. Uh, next question.
3: Chris Sabato in Albany, Oregon has an interesting one. Why not build a countdown clock in SPX?
4: It's a good question. I, I should, we should take a look at, and I'll talk to Tuomo about what it takes to have kind of a turnkey countdown clock thing. Um, I don't, I just, I mostly don't know how to do it. So this is a, this is a way that anybody can do it inside of a relatively inexpensive application. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't have a, I don't have a solution for the other ones because this is how I do it. Um, but yeah, it sounds like it could be useful there. Yeah, next question.
3: Douglas Carmichael's in next with, I'm starting to experiment with motion and the time code generator for the first time, and I noticed the number jud- the numbers judder a bit, even though I put them in a fixed location. What could cause that?
4: Yeah, that's what we're talking about is the monospace. So you want to look at, um, when you look at this here, um, and we go into format, you have to turn on monospace right here, and then they'll stop juttering. Now, that also means you're going to have to close up the tracking um, on them. So if they're juddering, some fonts jutter, and some, some are monospaced and some are not. If they're monos, if they're not monospaced, you have to drive them to be monospaced and then you pull them together and then you'll, you, it shouldn't move at that point. So that's, that's what's causing that judder. Next question.
3: Next question looks like it's a general from Paul Wallace. So, um, if you have three or, four mon- uh, three or four monitors set up, can you use a program like Remote PC to operate it with three or four screens at another location? Is Remote PC the best software for this? That's a QR code question.
4: Yeah, I, I think that you, you could use, I mean, there's a lot of remote, different remote PC. There's Parsec, there's Ter- uh, Teradici. So there's a, there's a lot of different ways to control those. Um, uh, but you, could, you, you should be able to get to all those monitors from there. Um, next question.
3: Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, Among sound people who run the mixer, is it more common to see a concert in stereo sound or mono sound? I asked to end it between two other friends who can't agree to disagree. I got Bill. My experience, the bigger the show, the more likely it is in mono. They do not want phase problems and stuff like that, particularly if you have all sorts of delay, uh, to delay a stereo signal to the back parts that actually physics creates time delays. I think it's simpler to work with a single signal. The one uh, kind of caveat to that is I know a lot of mixers who, if they're doing anything that has stereo sources, will do a record in stereo of the show, but they're still mixing for mono for the crowd. That's what I've been run into with the people I know. I I have one friend who does sound in big, big concerts, and that's what he's
4: always told me. Next question.
3: Uh, Paul Wallace, Austin, Texas. Where do you find mirror studio, A, equipment list, B, layout plan for gear with connections and positioning, C, architectural elements like HVAC soundproofing walls, windows, and ceilings?
4: I see what Paul's doing and I completely approve. Um, so, uh, so let's, uh, we'll work on that. I actually don't know where that diagram is. I, we, you know, we've been publishing, uh, we have been publishing the, what, like how we do this as best we can and explaining it. And, um, John Wallace was able to build one ba- mostly based on that. So we'll see what, how he built that list and we'll see if we can't build out a list, but I would love to see other people replicate what we're doing. So, um, and so anyway, so yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's talk more about that. Uh, next question.
3: Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada uh, says, is there only one Neutrik connector brand or can you price compare with others that make the connector? That's a QR code question.
0: Go ahead, Courtney. Well, Neutrik is just a brand name of a uh, common interconnect like XLR product, you know, XLR connectors or uh, uh, you know RJ45 connectors or SpeakOn connectors, uh, but it's a brand. And, and they're known for basically the engineering of the back end of the connector, not the connection part of the connector necessarily. So it makes them easier to disassemble without tools, uh, grasp the cable better. Uh, those designs are all patented and that's why you buy the Neutrik brand. I don't know if there are any knockoffs yet. I don't know if their patents have expired. Uh, I don't know if there's any uh, cheaper versions of Neutric that are using uh, the same Neutric designs uh, that are patented. So that's why people use the brand names.
4: Next question.
3: Next question is from Joe Kidd in the Bay Area in California, and he says, uh, is the lack of a dedicated AV1 encode acceleration in the M3 family of chips cause for pause? Go Bill. Well, I just looked it up, and it says Apple confirms confirms that there is one in there, an AV1 decoder. So... uh, Apple confirms M3 Family has A V one hardware decoding. It's an Apple News website thing. So
0: do it. It's decoding, but not encoding. That's the question. Ah,
3: ah, okay.
4: Other stuff.
0: Go go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I was just gonna point that out. Yeah, it's he's talking about encoding, which is a much more intense process than decoding to do well and time intensive process. I I might point out that the next version of the intel chips has uh av1 encode and decode and hevc and h.264 built as a separate part of the processor that's not part of the graphics chip itself so even if you plug in an external graphics card you still have access to the on-chip hardware-based encode and decode if you're going the intel route
4: yeah i think that the the decode um is still very useful it means that um if if something like uh Um, if, uh, if Zoom supported AV1, which I think it's, I think, yeah, um, the, uh, you could get AV1 out of it, which would be great. Um, so, so I think that there are some advantages to AV1, especially as it relates to things like, um, uh, Zoom ISO and so on and so forth. Uh, but I don't think that, um, uh, you know, I do think that eventually we want encode and it looks like Intel's a little ahead here. Um, so that we can be part of that uh, that ecosystem and send that in and be part of that compression process. Although I do I have used AV one with my M1 Max and they've worked just fine. So it's it just takes up a little bit more of the processor, but it's totally capable of doing it. Um, next question.
3: JJ McKenna, Santa of Venetia, California. How difficult is adding a physical Ethernet upgrade to a bamboo 3D printer? The unit I ordered only supports Wi Fi. So hard. <laughs> Go ahead, Courtney. I think it is difficult.
0: You might have to, there are probably some solutions out there that would give you a Raspberry Pi uh, connection to the USB port uh, with Octoprint, and then that might be able to give you a a, a supported physical Ethernet connection. I don't know why, because uh, you know most of you're talking to those, I have uh, Wi-Fi connections to all of my 3D printers now, the Creality printers. And the bandwidth is not very highly required uh, unless you're going to be pulling uh, high def video out of them. But if you're just sending commands to start, stop, or you're uploading uh, models into the printer and telling it to print, it doesn't use up a lot of bandwidth and Wi-Fi should work fine it's only when you get into the problem of having built-in cameras that are built into the printer and you want to monitor that print in real time, high def, then you might want to use an ethernet ad- adapter of some sort. But I don't think the USB ports on the bamboo labs support, uh, hosting a, e- a, USB to ethernet adapter. You could, if you could
4: find a cheap one, plug it in, you could try it, but it has to support it in the firmware. And, um, I have to admit with my printer, I've had it now for years and we use USB for it all. Always like, I just never have gotten it. Like I just, it, it, because it's printed for so long and I'm, it's not like I'm, I'm printing out sheets of paper. It's like 14 hours after I get handed to it, it's going to be there. Um, we've had a tendency, even though it supports Ethernet, I have a tendency to just take over a USB key and put it in. And, and I don't know why, I don't know if that's really useful. But I, you know, my son Ann, and I both do the same thing where we just don't put it on the network. Uh, next question.
3: Next one is circling back to countdown clocks. Eduardo Augustine in Panama says, how would you integrate the motion countdown keyed over pre-roll videos?
4: So the cool thing with motion uh, is that you can export as Apple ProRes 44444. 4, 4, 4, 4. So you can export it out as a, you can also send it as a pin, ping sequence, although that'll be a very large ping sequence, but you can do a ProRes output and then use a key fill out um, from an application that'll do that or out of a, um, so you can do it either as an application um, you know, something like, CG, you know, over the air CG or, or other things like that. Um, or you can put it out of a hyperdeck or anything that supports key fill um, from a video file. So that, and then you can put that out as its as its own little piece. Again, something like Memo Live or other live things, if you're only doing 2D countdown clocks, you can do that in a lot of ways. Um, but if you're doing it out of motion, you can render it out with an alpha channel and it'll, and then use it in a variety of places to make that
2: work. Go ahead, Chris. Alex, did you cover uh, monospace types in the the? Jittery? We did. I'm yeah, sorry. we just turn on monospace.
4: Yeah, you know, we, we, I, I talked about it a little bit, and then Douglas asked another question about it, and I just uh, outlined it. But to, to go back to it, because I think it is it's probably the most important part, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> is, this, is this one little thing down here that says monospace. Um, so you got to turn that monospace on inside of, uh, inside of your format. And then you'll yeah in in the text generator format you want to turn monospace on if it's not if it's not a monospace font and then it'll be really spread out and you got to move the tracking in um, to pull them all back together but that's you know uh,
3: I suspect that's there to beat the problem of kerning pairs yeah yeah no it's
4: it's it's the reason it's jittering is because of the kerning pairs. You know, yeah. so so that's the... And so the so what you want to do is uh, you set monospace, then it just monos it, but then they're all spread out. So then you pull them yeah. all back together and they won't look as good as they did with the kerning pairs, but it still works. Um, and a lot of fonts are actually monospaced. I was surprised at how many that I have that actually don't jitter at all. Um, but if they do jitter, then the way to fix that is to... The high-end fonts all jitter because they all have kerning pairs because that's part yeah. of the deal. Um, but the monospace selection, again, um, down here under... Uh, it's under the text generator, under format, um, and down here you'll see the ability to set to monospace right there. Um, next question.
3: Douglas Carmichael's back again this time with, I've been experimenting with universe and have successfully been able to display OSC messages from my DAW. How can I display those messages in the interface without their OSC address?
4: Hold on a second here. I got... Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm just taking a look here and it's uh yeah, so, uh yeah, I have to I don't I don't know the answer to that one. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I, I somehow closed a window on myself here uh, while I was doing this so I I I um yeah, next question. Sorry.
3: It's actually funny. I was laughing at the next question because I love it. Joe Kidd in Bay Area, California says, "How might one secure iPhone 15 Pro Max to a drone system? Gaffers tape?"
4: Yeah, I, do not, rec- I do not recommend. Do not recommend gaffers tape. Yeah, that would probably not be the right way to go. Yeah, good Courtney. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. Apple does this simply for the PR obviously uh, cuz
0: most drones these days have great gimbal mounted cameras and if you're going to stick a an iPhone in there it's not you're not going to probably have the gimbal mount. I did find uh this $13 mini pan tilt camera platform anti vibration camera mount with two servos and for aircraft for first person viewers so this is designed $13? to mount $13 wow. it's only $13 and it comes from <laughs> amazon yeah it's uh,
3: <laughs> it's Somebody such 3D a deal printed for in their you. basement
0: you know everyone <laughs> I don't heard think of... I would trust my uh, $1000 iphone to a $13 connector to a f- fpv drone which is flying very fast through a lot of
4: dangerous things. (laughs) Have you ever heard of Temu? T-E-M-U? Yeah. Yeah, the the kind of blowout wholesaler? (laughs) No, it's not even blowout wholesaler. I had to buy one because I saw there was, Temu makes one that's a U87 Temu, Temu, and someone was using it. (laughs) U87? Yeah. For $26. And I was like, here's the the worst part is I bought one (laughs) Just to find out. Like, I was just like, I have to know. I have to know. Just to tear it down and see what's in it. (laughs) Yeah, just, I was like, I'll spend the money on it just to... And... I don't know. It's it's, it's going to come next week, so we'll we'll, we'll throw oh, it in. to yeah. do a live teardown. <laughs> we got to open it up and see what's inside. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, it, it, it might be funny good. If a real U eighty. It was somebody. Up. I was in a meeting yesterday, and they're like, "Oh, I'm using the How do I sound?" I'm like, "Oh, you sound fine." And they're like, "I'm using this this thing," and I was like, "Well, it sounded fine." Oh, so man. I'm gonna I'm gonna um you know buy one and see. And they, and they have one just in case you're wondering, Chris. They have one for the TLM-103. Uh, they, they have a... Uh,
2: I've, just, I've just heard that Timu is one of those do-not-go-there companies. That are, they're super shady. Yeah, well, anyway, they said it. I, I want to see what happens. So the damage is done. Now, yeah, now exactly. I'm connected to Timu because because anything you say <laughs> ends up showing up in my... By the, by the way, yesterday we were talking about the, uh, the I, uh, iPad magnetic to Visa mount thing and alex was like i'm gonna drill and tap and epoxy and blah and within five actually i think before the end of the show i was rifling because i had to walk away i was rifling through the instagram and it's like boom there's an ad for the exactly the exactly the thing that you were talking about (laughs) there's a visa mount with a mag thing and the ipad and what are the chances
3: the robot overloads are listening.
4: <laughs> and I don't even have it installed on my, I don't have Instagram on my phone. So I don't, I don't know. So it's you, it's you. It's not me. It's you. Uh, it's your brain, brainchild.
3: <laughs> Next question. Robert Sabavity in Poland. Still, did anyone watch the podcast with Twitch CEO Dan Clancy or Senpai Gaming? He had major challenges with audio and video. Is this just his style?
4: If it is, it shouldn't be. CEOs should be ashamed of themselves. I see a lot of them do this where they they just don't, they're like, oh, I'm not going to spend it. It's got to feel informal. It's got to feel whatever. And you can do that to some degree. I mean, you can can not have a mic in the frame. You can do a bunch of things. But it is, we're way past that, like where it's okay to show up, you know, on stage with flip-flops and uh, cutoffs and and a t-shirt. Like, I mean, I get you, you, some people can do that, but I, I, it, I, I get that he may not want to look like he's working too hard, but there's a lot of ways to not look like you're working too hard without looking completely not good so he sh- he should have thought about it. It's a streaming company yeah next question
3: Al Trivet in Carmichael california uh any thoughts on this on the ruling in this a i copyright lawsuit case? And he's got a link there from the Hollywood reporter. I haven't looked at it is anybody
4: uh, the, the the I think that the judge threw out the through through that threw it out um and this is the challenge that artists are going to have is that the judges aren't going to get the, well, they based it on this, but they're like, the, the argument is, well, everybody bases something on something. I mean, everybody heard a song and then they play a song like it. There's a lot of cor- co- chords that are common between pop songs. There's, you know, like the, the, it's really easy to undermine this, this conversation. And I think that that's going to be the challenge that they have there. Um, and uh, I think that the problem they have is that everybody's been holding back their AI development because they don't know where the courts are going to land. And once they know, which is a high probability that, you know, but the, before it was like the low probability they could win, but not zero. So everyone's kind of like not putting their, putting all their chips in. As soon as they lose enough of these cases, it, they're going to flip the switch and suddenly it's going to go um, super wide. You know, Like, you know, AI, if you think AI has been crazy now, wait until they're not worried about copyright. Yeah. Go ahead, Chris.
2: Ah, the, the 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 law courts thing you know there's a thing that has ha- that has happened a lot in recent uh years where the confusion of a judge saying there's not enough evidence or there's not enough there there to even bother bringing this to the courtroom oftentimes gets gets confused with the judge threw it out. It's it's it, meaning it's not a thing or he was guilty or he wasn't guilty or whatever. And a judge saying, I'm not going to try this in my court doesn't mean that the thing was guilty or not guilty. It just means you don't have enough here. Go back to the drawing board, come back when you have a real case. And that I, I don't know if this is what is happening here. But it is. It is. It's, and it's actually the judge
4: protecting the plaintiff in some cases because, you know, when you go into appeal, you can only use what you showed. You know, like you can't keep on adding more data. So so the, um, the judge is just saying you, you don't have enough yet. Like, it's as I, an adult. I've
2: watched a lot of Perry Mason, so I think I know what I'm talking about here, Alex. <laughs>
4: yeah. Um, uh, n- there's a whole like what you can what's admissible and what's not admissible after the court case um, you know you, you can have new evidence arise but if you if the evidence occurred and you didn't put it in or you didn't challenge it so that's why everyone says objections like you, you know um, you know objection is not trying to change the case it's setting up oh, it can be but a lot of objections are setting a pinpoint a pin that you can uh, appeal against later um, next question
3: Old Perry Mason or the new Perry
4: Mason, Chris? I just got old. Okay, old Perry Mason, the new Perry Mason. The come, Raymond on.
3: Burr
2: Perry come on, come on. I, I
4: can't. How did they even think that that was going to be okay? Anyway, sorry, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I spent a lot of hours watching Perry Mason when I was a kid. <laughs> Can I get the idea that they put a new one? It's sacrilege. Raymond Burr. All right. Great, it's Alexander
3: amazing. Hamilton. Oh gosh, let's let's go for it. Alex Forty Golner, Zone Two, Northwest London. How would you convince Apple executives to invest in the future of Apple Motion?
4: Well, uh, well, first of all, I'm going to wait until next week because Apple isn't listing Motion or Compressor in Apple Apps, you know, in their Apple Apps thing, which makes me very nervous about the future of of Motion, um, of what what's happening there. Um, I, I think that, um. In some cases, I feel like I have let, <laughs> let motion users down in the sense that, um, folks like me and haven't done enough videos to show people how amazing that app is. I mean, we've done some pretty high end things. I have to admit, um, the amount of motion I used after there was some update where, um, uh, our plugin didn't work anymore, you know, Conduit, because Conduit put, basically put a nodal compositor inside of Motion, which was really powerful. When that stopped working, I didn't do as heavy a work in Motion as I used to. Um, but the um, uh, but I think that it's a really really amazing. It's probably the best. Those two. What's what's funny is that it's not in the Apple list on their web pi- website but they are the highest bang for your buck of any app that you can buy from Apple. Compressor in Motion, like for what they can do for $49 or whatever, $50 is unbelievable, um, you know, for that single price. Uh, and so it's, it is amazing. I think that what's missing is really just education, people understanding how to use it and how to do it. I will say that Motion is a little quirky in the way it handles keyframes and other things like that. And that, I think that made that was needed more... They needed more people to build more training, and I feel like I could have done more about that. And so we'll see what happens. Uh, I am committing myself that if I don't feel like if I feel like Motion's going to survive, um, I uh, I plan next year to do a lot more Motion tutorials, just because I feel like it's important for people to understand how to use it because it's super powerful. Uh, next question.
3: Douglas Carmichael's up next. What would? could conceivably have caused the NFL Sunday tif- ticket buffering issues. Would it be the path from the venue to Google or something in Google's own pipeline?
4: You know, I don't know what the answer to that is. There's a couple things. Because it didn't affect the entire ticket, you start to think that, well, it might be. There's a, there's a few things. It could be transport from the from the specific venues because it wasn't every game. I watched some of the games and... Unfortunately it didn't affect the the transmission of the Steeler game because the Steelers lost, and I got to watch that in full uh full quality and um and so uh so the uh the it could be a transport from the game the games you know these are big stadiums and things can happen also you can end up with regional uh brownouts so regional um systems that it, and that can be a handful of different things that are processing those things and those things can affect you know so if a regional backhaul went under you could end up with losing transmission from six or eight, which is what it sounds like happens, six or eight games, you know, that are in that region. Um, and that's a, you know, we, there was one, we had one where we, we lost the Northeast because someone ran cut one fiber cable and what it did is they were digging and they dig and they cut it. And what it did is it caused a cascading failure. Like it it had all this stuff and it started putting more pressure on different servers And before you knew it, that everything was slow and suddenly internet wasn't working anywhere in the east, in the northeast. And I happened to be right when I started a live stream. So, uh, so we were very, you know, um, so you have to look at uh, down detector to know whether people are seeing, you know, when you see a big region where there's a whole bunch of things that are down and a bunch of different services, oftentimes... And every time it happens, it's less likely to happen again because usually it has something to do with AWS and AWS fixes something you know, in the back end and it doesn't happen as much again. Uh, I don't think that that's the case for Google, but a lot of times those, you want to look for brownouts. Um, that might, might have been it, but I'm completely guessing. I have no inside information. Next question.
3: Uh, next one comes from Dave Troutman in Edmonton, Canada. Would anyone hazard a guess uh, about how dynamic cache works
4: uh, we 're still doing research on that um, I think that it's it 's a matter of when the when the app comes up of uh, being able to allocate dynamically uh, allocate the graphics processing power, like how much of the graphics processor am I going to get when i 'm starting to work there um, and uh, being able to keep on having multiple operations running and um, which could make it considerably more powerful because it 's not it's it's not caching in time it's caching actual uh capacity there so yeah go ahead, bill
3: yeah they said it was it, it's maybe a boon for gaming on the the these new chips because it just caches uh what's necessary for the next operations or something like that i still don't understand it very well but it looks like it'll help in particularly high io ca- uh, tasks like fast gaming
4: yeah i mean i think that we're all because we haven't used it yet or we haven't seen it used yet um, I think we're all kind of guessing at the moment, but we're, we're going to get some more information over the next week. Um, next question.
3: Peter Belbin in Houston, Texas. For the Brother P Touch Cube Plus label maker, is there a particular tape that's best for producing non removable labels? Go ahead, Courtney. Well, it depends on what you call non-removable.
0: Uh, it, not that the adhesive is non-removable, but there are security labels that you can get from Brother. I haven't found any third-party generators of these security labels. That they're just tamper-evident. In other words, if you remove them, uh, the adhesive on the back forms a checkerboard. Then on the on the label, so this prevents people from taking uh, barcodes off of a expensive item and putting it i mean a cheap item and putting it on an expensive item and then checking out that kind of tampering that goes on because it would render whatever is on the label unreadable or at least evident that it has been removed and put on something else i don't think they make it in any type of adhesive that uh, can't be removed uh, there it's a pretty permanent adhesive it's difficult to get those labels off but if you're looking for tamper resistant, they do make some, Brother
4: makes them, and they're called uh, security labeling tape. So just look for that. Yeah, and when you started saying, I want stuff that you can't take off, I don't think that the Cube is really what you want to use. What you want to look at is um, take a look at the, um, the Brady brand. So the Brady brand, I think the one that I have is I think a BPM, a BMP41 is the one that I have. Um, I have a kit there. That stuff will print on metal. And that, And those metal uh, labels will um, not come off <laughs> like they they, they they become part of uh, whatever you're labeling and so uh, but Brady is probably it's a, considerably more expensive. these are like four or five hundred dollar labelers, um, but these labelers have a lot more options when it comes to um, the kind of uh, adhesive that you might add there. Uh, next question
3: Neil Avalito in Bo- Boca Raton, Floritan, Florida is it? Interesting that Apple is positioning the M3 Pro 6.6 PE cores as a heavy multi-loads and the M3 Max 12.4 uh, cores as a more dedicated load. What are your opinions?
4: Well, I you know, I think that these are, um, yeah, I, I haven't dug into that deep enough to know. Like I just you know we saw it last night. We're still looking at, at the at the data. I have to after the show have to spend some more time on it, getting ready for Mac break. Um, but uh, but I think that uh, in the in at the end you're really looking. I don't think that you're going to pick a pro over a max because of one thing or the other. You're going to buy the max if you want more speed. You know, like it, I think it's going to the max will outperform the pro at almost every level. Um, maybe not all levels, but almost every level every time you put it out there. All right. Well, there you go. We got we got through it. Um we had a um we had a uh we had some issues today that you probably saw there in the back. Um and that's why we are kind of fiddling with this stuff. So we're 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 working through these um and uh the kit has o- overall the trans- transition has gone almost perfectly seamlessly. Um so an amazing work on the back end of figuring out you know, how to how to make all these things work but that's what we're working through like what does it take to put it in? we this is an entirely new kit so you saw us jump from one kit to an entirely different kit um in one day <laughs> you know and and then we tested a cloud kit on a on a sunday and then we came back to this new kit and we're going to run this new kit for the next three to four weeks um out all the things so that it's totally stable um, and you know, and again, the it's been really minor stuff that's happened it there. It's
2: shocking how smooth the last few days. Absolutely. Have been. It's really yeah, amazing.
4: It's it's really uh, incredible. Um, you know, uh to John Wallace, to the dev team, to the production teams, to everyone. Uh incredible work. Just incredible work to have this thing working as smoothly as it has. The reason we cleared out the whole schedule for the next month is that I was like, well, it's just going to be chaos and it hasn't been. So so anyway, so, but I've already cleared out the schedule, I'm not going back. So anyway, and then um, our goal is to set up two more kits. One kit that you'll see us start in near somewhere in November. We'll set up another, have another kit go up and then in december we'll set up the third kit and paul it sounds like is working on the fourth kit so paul um we expect we're expecting uh, big things from you uh, in in uh, in is it arkansas or mississippi or where was that where did I think he's moved to Little Rock arkansas little rock it's somewhere in so so we're expecting a whole nother kit from paul um and he's he's asking for the schematics so no pressure paul but it's only you know it's only 80 grand. I mean, you can do whatever you want, you know, and you can put it together. You might be able to put it together for less. We'll see. So anyway, um, anyway, check that out. So thanks, thanks to the panelists. I uh, can't do this without you, of course. And thanks to the producers for all the great questions. Lots of great questions. We've had two, uh, you know, we had this little lab thing. I don't know. We have to figure out the lab thing. I'm not sure if the lab thing worked when I put the lab in the middle and then came back to general questions because then some people left and then we were like, we did fine. But, but I think we have to, we'll, we'll have to think through that, that process. Maybe you, you just lab till you're done and then or or you or you you know the question is decide how long the lab yeah you might just lab until you're done
2: it also we had a lot be of better, questions if you're hosting let's just think about this if you're hosting tomorrow and I'm doing my thing maybe you can interject you can be looking ahead going oh hey based on what yeah. you're saying here's a question let's
4: or or we decide how long the lab's going to be and go a, a little bit into the second hour if we've got a lot of questions or something like that so we'll have to think through that hmm. yeah We've never done this before. This is what happens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's more complicated because we have nowhere for the, if you put stuff in the QR code, we're still working on it. There's nowhere to put them. So that's why we have to get to those. Um, all right. It's, uh, we traveled 106,000 miles, 170,000 kilometers, and that is uh, 840 million bananas for scale. All right, let's go ahead and jump into After Hours. It went black. I did the black. I was told to do the black. I, 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 I did the fade to black. <laughs> it's freaking out right now. No, they told me to do it. They told me oh. to do the black. They oh, said, oh, go to Alex. You got to, to you gotta do the, Alex, please. Uh, JJ told me a little while ago to do, go to go to that. Yeah, so. Oh,
3: we could fade the black ourselves on our thing. That's right. Yeah, I didn't yeah, think about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. switch so now, we, we can, can roll I
2: texted you about a, a, an office hours standard thing. I think we need to have a standardized dissolve rate. Some some of the dissolve rates I'm seeing coming from people's I, desks. I vote for the ATEM bonkers. stock without change. Yeah, the default is two seconds. Two seconds. I do one you second. You do a whole show in that dissolve. Yeah, I do one second myself. <laughs> <And then laughs> I, I try and change
4: it, but it keeps changing it. Back. <laughs> save, 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 save start state. Save
2: start state. All right, now I'm out of here. All right, see y'all later. I will be keeping this room open for the remainder of the day. Anybody wants to?